what is going on? Welcome to the Risen Fallen Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hendrickson. And uh, you can expect to hear some open and authentic conversations about things like mental health, self-development. I'm here with Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming in, man. No worries, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. And to be honest, first and foremost, I want to thank you, if anything, because your social media and whatnot led me down the path of 75 hard. Fuck yeah, man. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that the camera looks pretty good. Um, yeah, dude, it's Jeremy Brandt. Uh, you want to give people kind of like a introduction into who you are and what you're all about? Kind of tell people like uh, what you what you got going on? Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess Jeremy Brandt, as you said. I uh, grew up in East Vancouver, Southeast Vancouver, uh, I worked for the Vancouver School Board, actually, with special needs kids uh, since 2002. So my entire adult life, that's basically been my profession. And then I've dabbled in some hobbies on the side. I started a website in 2009 called MMASucka.com. That led me through the doors of martial arts and all that other kind of stuff. I uh, have a podcast podcast. MMA Sucker Radio, and there's stuff all over YouTube with me and interviews and whatnot. I am a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I ref roller hockey. I teach Jiu-Jitsu at Apex Martial Arts as well. And, like, I mean, I'm a jack-of-all-trades at this point, and life is busy, man. No kidding. <laughs> so you're still working for the school board? Is that, like, a Monday to Friday type of thing? Yeah, yeah. I work for uh, Vancouver School Board in an elementary school uh, with mainstream kids, sort of uh, these special needs kids that are integrated into the classroom. I don't work in like a special program. I try to keep them uh, on the same roles as the rest of the kids in the school. And uh, yeah, done that for the last 20, 21 years. That's wicked, man. I got a, I got a really weird experience with that actually. When I was in elementary school, like I I went to school, like it's really in the burbs of Richmond where we're at right now. But I grew up in this neighborhood and there's an elementary school down the road. And, um, it's a weird story, actually, but essentially what happened was uh, I had told one of my teachers that, like, I was, like, it was kind of like a cry for help. Like, I was, like, I don't really see the point in anything I do. Like, I don't really want to know. Like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this or if I want to, like, I, like, it was, like, almost like like telling her, like, I was suicidal without saying those words. In elementary school. Yeah, in, like, grade four. And, um... She was, like, stunned. She really didn't know what to say or do because, like, this is, like, a nine-year-old kid in front of her basically saying, like, I don't see the point in living. And um, so she tells the principal. Then they tell my parents, which is good. Like, they took the right steps because, like, what the fuck do you do? No doubt. But there was, like, no real services or anything like that at the time. So essentially what they did was, like, this kid obviously needs help and he's not getting, like, the support he needs. So they pulled me out of class and, like, put me into the, like, the, like, small little room where, like, the teacher's assistants would take, like, the special needs kids. So then I'm sitting in a room, like, probably the size of the one we're in right now with, like, four autistic kids, a kid that has, like, some other disabilities in a wheelchair. And then there's, like, two other kids that have other learning disabilities. And I'm like, fuck, I should have just <laughs> kept my mouth shut, man. I don't know what, what the fuck I got myself into. So I... It was such a weird, alienated experience for me where it's, uh, I'm hoping the services are much better nowadays, but it was uh, such a weird experience where I, I was like, fuck, I don't want to say anything like no, that again. No, of course. <laughs> I will say it's eye-opening for sure because like, at the end of the day, a lot of the kids that we end up working with are those kids that are the cries for help. 
like we're, we're designated and, and we're assigned to certain students that, you know, have autism or have Down syndrome or, you know, any of these other above things. But a lot of the times the kids that are in class that need the most support are the ones that have either tough upbringings in home or, or mental health struggles and, and stuff like that. So we try to support as much as we can, even though those aren't the kids that we're necessarily assigned to. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up, I was just like, hey, guys, like, uh, this kind of makes me feel weird. Like, I just want to be in the class again with my friends. Like, they ended up ushering me back into the class. <laughs> I don't think this is the right fit for me. Like, I know I'm only nine, but I, I just want to go back with my friends. Man. Of course, you, the, the normal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was in elementary school, and this is way back in the day. I'm 41 now. So when I was in elementary school, I don't remember any... Like, I'm considered a support staff, and I don't remember support staff in my school, but I remember kids coming into our school. We had something called TNE, and I don't know what it stood for, but they were always the bad rebel kids. <laughs> and uh, all the girls always loved the boys that came into that class, and they're like, ooh, the, the TNE kids are here. <laughs> the badass kids. Yeah. We had that at my high school. We had like uh like w the kids that got kicked out of other high schools came to a program in our high school where it was like uh I don't know like it was just like a finish high school please like it was like of one of course, those programs yeah. <laughs> so we had one of those at our school. But yeah, man. So what led you to starting MMA Sucker? Funny story. So my wife was pregnant at the time, so she was off work for mat leave and. I had always loved MMA. I was training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for about two years at the time. Um, I followed the UFC religiously. I'd go to the, you know, watch it everywhere I could. I, I All the way back to UFC 1, I watched it in my buddy's basement on one of those black boxes, wow. de-scramblers or whatever they're called. And uh, she was starting to do some baking. And I had a, a MacBook, and I thought, hey, let's put some baked goods up on a website. So I used iWeb, which was an old software <laughs> on the MacBook, which is complete trash. And I saw how easy it was to put that together, and I thought, hey, I, I like MMA, so let's put this website together, MMA Sucka. And I, I loved, like, Mr. T and A-Team and stuff like that. So Sucka was, was the name, and there was MMA Junkie at the time and all that kind of stuff. So I came up with MMA Sucka. And it sort of just grew. People hit me up on Facebook and I pushed it and I, you know, put out there that I'd want some writers. And the very first article I wrote on the website was, you know, Dana White's favorite razor to shave his head, which is complete garbage as well. But I found that on Twitter and... And I mean, let's not talk about Dana White right now, but, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting start and let's just say the baking website is no more and MMA suck is flourishing where I have 25 plus writers. I have a bunch of guys who do video interviews for the website. I have a partner, uh, with a company called last word on sports. So we're 50, 50 ownership and it's, it's blown up to, you know, a huge sort of website out there. Would like do you see yourself continuing to scale it bigger and bigger, and bigger, or do you like where it's at right now? You There's always times to you know anyone says that with business. I actually sat down with Uriah Faber once and did an interview with him when he was here in town. We sat in his hotel room wow. and on the elevator down, he said, "So what's the end game?" And I I had at that point this was probably two or three years ago, maybe a little more, and I had never actually thought of that. I never thought what's the end game, and he said in business there should always be an out. 
And I hear that and I think about that. And I listened actually to Andy Frisella, the guy who started 75 Hard, and he said on one of his most recent podcasts, he'd never sell his business. And there's all these people that say, sell your business, sell your business, sell your business. He says, don't sell your business because what are you going to do next? Mm -hmm. There's always a next. I could sell the business and start another website and grow it even bigger than it is now knowing what I know and the SEO and all that kind of stuff, search engine optimization would be better. Mm -hmm. There's obviously been people that have wanted to sell it. I personally would love to see it just grow and grow and grow. I don't do a ton for the website anymore. I started a podcast. It was a live stream called MMA Church that I did on Sunday mornings. Haven't done it in about a month. Um, so I like to do that kind of stuff. I like to go and support the local guys, Battlefield Fight League here locally in Vancouver. I'll go to the gyms. I'll you know, roll with guys. I'll interview them. I'll get their stories out there and support the local cats that we can see grow up and, and be on the big scene. And we've seen a ton of local guys make the UFC and Bellator and Battlefield or like PFL and all those kind of places. Um, so as I said, 25 plus writers, I can sort of take a back seat. I've always said to myself, if I make it big and I make big money, I'm never actually going to walk away from the school board because it's such a, you know, fulfilling career. Yeah. So I'm 20 plus years into that. If I blow this MMA sucker thing up even more, cool. It's money in my pocket. Um, but I've got another 15, 20 years of work for the school board that will be good for my retirement. And I, I don't need to do much more than that. Yeah. That's wicked, man. How did you like kind of go about um, like scaling the website to begin with? Because when you first started, like obviously you don't have the 25 plus no, writers. No, definitely. And, like and none of the writers up until actually the time that I partnered with Last Word on Sports, none of the writers got paid. They do now. Uh, we have a remuner remuneration plan. I always have a tough time saying that word. I don't even know what that <laughs> word is. It's basically just a payment plan okay. where writers get paid based on a certain percentage. Um, scaling it was tough, and it it took a lot of negativity, uh, a lot of trash talk from people on the internet saying, what is this website? You know, the name doesn't necessarily do the site justice because you know the first time we went to a ufc event and we had press credentials we were actually credentialed through i don't know if you remember it was called 24 hours day 24 hour news it was a newspaper locally that they'd hand out at like skytrain stations okay yeah 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 uh so we actually had an article in that newspaper every wow. monday and so we were able to get UFC credentials through that. It was through Sun Media. And the first time we went to an event, we were like, hey, Jeremy or Trevor or whoever it was, were from MMA Sucka. And the people sort of laughed, right? So it's, it was a building phase where we had to sort of forget about the name. And there were always times where we were like, should we change the name? Because, and we're like, no, there's no need to change the name. The, the articles and everything speak for themselves. And scaling it, like you say, was tough because of the negativity. And you got to throw that out and on the back burner. You got to know that what you're doing is, is for the greater good of getting people's stories out there. And that was my biggest thing when I first started it. Obviously, as I said, Dana White's favorite razor was the first article I came out with. But I really wanted to interview guys. And I really wanted to get their stories out there differently than, say, hey, what'd you do in fight camp? Or, hey, how's your weight cut going? I wanted to get to know the guys as fighters. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to know their backstories. I wanted to know what their favorite video games were or what they like to eat on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Um, how they, how, what their life was like growing up. Stuff like that. So when once people started to see that we could get these interviews and do that kind of stuff, more and more people wanted to come aboard. Um, there were obviously peaks and valleys as well. Uh, people didn't like the fact that they weren't getting paid. They thought they should get paid more. But the MMA media sphere is so... Um, it's small in terms of like media compared to you know major sports like the NFL, NHL, mm-hmm. NBA, and stuff. But there's so many people in it that you're not gonna make you know mainstream money or full time MMA media money. So you, you know I got a guy named James Lynch. I don't know if you know who he is, but he does a ton of MMA interviews. He he's a freelance journalist. He used to work for the Score, and now he just does freelance interviews and whatnot. So he works for about seven or eight, nine, maybe even 10 different websites doing interviews for them. And he's able to create a career for himself like that. The only way you're going to make a full-time career in MMA journalism, unless you're a big name and with the MMA junkies, MMA fightings, ESPNs, is to work for multiple outlets. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've got guys working for a number of sites, but it's, the last, as I said, 2009, I started it. So the last 12, 13 years, it's been a grind. Yeah. I could imagine, man. I know like just starting my own little projects, there's always times where I'm like, you're, you're just literally like working around the clock, whether you're recording, you're editing, you're like putting stuff out on social media. And there's always like this like internal feeling of like, Man, I know I feel like I'm not ready yet to oh, hire yeah. anybody to bring anybody on, but like when will I be ready? <laughs> when will I when 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 is this time gonna come, man? Like did you did you find yourself in that struggle at I all? definitely did. And there was a time where my family hated me. We'd go like to Kelowna on vacation or, or somewhere and I'd always have to have my laptop with me. I'd always have to be, because I was the one who did the results for UFC events. I did, you know, post fight press conferences or post fights whatever. I always had to be the one to do that stuff because I owned the site and I didn't have other guys that were willing to do that kind of stuff, like sort of live and on the spot or when there was breaking news and whatnot. So I always had to have my finger on the pulse, as they say. And that that took a lot out of me at the time. Yeah, I could imagine, man. Like there's so many times as well where like there is like uh, a time last year where we went out, my girlfriend's parents have a cabin up near 100 mile house we went up there for new year's and like the next day there's a blizzard and i'm like i have to get back to vancouver like i have an interview like i and they're like how much do you make off this interview like it's not i'm like no no i actually paid to do my podcast (laughs) like i don't even make money like and it's like there's so many people i'm sure you had like where they're like like is it really worth it like it like how much money are you making? You're like, no, I'm doing this for free. Exactly. Like, if anything, and it I is, pay you know to what? At the end of the day, it is worth it because I think that, like you said, like this whole show is about your mental health and and mental health well being and whatnot. And I think these outlets help that a ton. And being able to speak about it and being able to talk to different people definitely helps. Mm-hmm. So before you had MMA sucker, you you're already working for the school board. Like, what brought you there? Uh, that's another sort of funny story. We were sitting in my buddy's backyard smoking some dope. Nice. And uh, we were in his driveway, and this guy that we had known we hung out for, with for quite a bit of time, he was a few years older than me, 
and he came into the backyard. He's like, hey, guys. He, we always thought of him as sort of like just this stoner dude. And he's like, man. I love the stoner voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love and the And he's voice. like, man, I just finished up. I graduated from Langara. I'm going to be this like – it was called an EA at the time. I'm going to be an education assistant. And I did a 10-month program. And, and I'm going to work with special needs kids. And I didn't think anything of it. Like I did babysitting and and this other kind of stuff. I always had sort of like – a nurturing side to me with, with kids and whatnot. And I, I knew that I could go down that Avenue if I needed to, but a couple days went by and I, I sort of took what he had said. And I'm like, Fuck, if this stoner guy can do this, then, then I can do this too. And me and my buddy who were sitting in the backyard told our parents, we were 19, 20 years old at the time. And a couple months later we were started at Langara college at the EA program. Wow. We did, we, did you work other jobs, I'm assuming, before yeah, that? Or? Yeah, I did. Like, first job I had was working as a dishwasher at the Tea House restaurant in Stanley Park. Oh, my, yeah. my buddy's mom was the head chef there, so she got me the job. I moved from there to bagging groceries at Save On Foods. I quit that to go work at a mattress, like a futon company on Broadway, where I actually built the futons, not the frames of the futons, but the mattresses themselves. Oh, what? So, like, layering the foam with, yeah, it was crazy. And then I went from there to everything else we got going now. Yeah. I'm assuming you like working with people more than you like working with things like that. Yeah. I I think that if I were to, I don't know. I actually, I did do some volunteer work with my cousin. Uh, he's a plumber. And I did some volunteer work with him when I was like 19, 20 years old. So before I got into Langara College. And it was cool. But it was just, I was by myself. I do, and I think when I'm by myself, I have too much time in my own head. <laughs> and I don't know how good a thing that is. When I can have outlets, um, like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm going through a pretty dark time right now. Don't want to sort of dive into it. It's not my place to dive into it. But without people, the closest people to me, without my job, without my family, without jujitsu, without... 75 hard as well and having those sort of outlets each day and tasks at hand uh, it'd be tough to keep my head above water probably mm -hmm. so uh, like um when you when you're working with the school board do you find that that transitions well into your ability to teach jiu-jitsu as well 100 percent um i think that not just teaching jiu-jitsu but i see uh working in the education system and working with these special needs kids, the SSAs, which is my job role, that move on to become teachers are typically the best teachers out there because they already have that side of them that knows how to work with special needs kids. They've already been in a classroom of 30 plus kids, if that's the case. They know how to discuss and talk and deal with children and with the adults around them, because obviously you have to intermingle with your staff, you have to deal with the administrators, you have to deal with everybody else that's involved in the scene. Parents, which, you know, that's very tough at times. Um, I'm a parent myself, so yes, definitely very tough. But being able to communicate and sort of deconstruct things has helped my teaching of jiu-jitsu, definitely. And and not even just teaching jiu-jitsu, but learning jiu-jitsu as well. I find that I'm able to focus on the details of it. Teaching jiu-jitsu has taught me to focus on my own game a lot more as well, which is 
crazy because I thought as a, you know, when I was a purple belt and I started teaching, I thought, I know how to do this. And then I go to teach it and I'm like, no, I don't really know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, um, man, there's so many places, I guess, like uh, you, there's a there's like a spot to look up to in you. And, and it's like, I'd say like being a father, being an instructor and then working in the educational system because those are you know, three different places that like, I'd say I had so many mentors or so many people that I still remember back in the day. Like if I think about like the most inspirational people or the people that I think of when I'm going through a tough time that helped me out in the past, it was like my grade four teacher and then like some rugby coaches that, that yep. really got me through things. And then just play people that facilitated fitness. Like that was like, even when I was going and starting out jujitsu is like when all the gyms got shut down, I was just calling local gyms. I was like, can I come train? Like I need some fitness outlet, like running around outside is just, it's good. It's doing a lot for me, but I need a community again. Like my gym shut down. I had nowhere to go and work out. Like I was just like one of those like gym bros. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was like doing like bodybuilding exercises and I'm like calling people. I'm like, I, I just need a community again. Like I need something. And I found a gym that was like welcoming with open arms or like, don't worry. Like we're not shutting our gym down. So like, come on in. Even if we have to like keep it on the down low, we'll cover the windows. Like we'll be training the whole time. Like, don't worry about it. And, uh, yeah, man, there's a lot to look up to there. Do you think that, um, training like people in martial arts or working in a school system better equips you for being a father? right now being a father is tough and my daughter's 14 um i think it's a fine balance i've got I two think, sisters so i know what teenage girls are yeah, like in the house man it's uh i think it's a fine balance of working f it's tough to say um i'd say in the school board because i see the different types of students and, and children that i work with i'm able to sort of understand some of the stuff she's going through and some of the stuff that she's trying to tell me. I don't know, man. It's it's just such a crazy road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could imagine, man. It's like, uh, I feel like, and I don't know how you feel, you probably do feel, I, I feel like everybody that has children feels this way, but I've always looked up to people, especially like young people that have children, that uh, I'm like, I feel like that's like the biggest purpose in a man's world. And, uh, I just think of like as much joy and as much like, um, you know, purpose that it gives you, it could be like the biggest heartbreak too. Oh, yeah. like, the biggest struggle 100%. as well. hundred percent. I do want to go back, but not to cut you off there. I want to go back to you talking about how, you know, some of your biggest memories are of, of people that have impacted your life. Yeah. Coaches and, and, and teachers. I, I feel the same way. And I feel the same way on the other aspect as well, that, some of my biggest negativities are from that as well. Like I remember oh, yeah. my grade two teacher, I was sitting on the carpet and she asked a question and I put up my hand and I answered the question and I still remember and I can still vividly hear it to this day, her saying to me in an English accent, Jeremy, you're so stupid. Fuck. Like at grade two, I'm getting that thrown at me and I can still remember it to this day. So those definitely hit you hard mm -hmm. but they teach you how to move forward and not do that kind of stuff because 
myself, I remember that to this day, and I'm 41 years old, and that happened in grade two. But I also mm-hmm. remember the way my grade seven teacher, Mr. Armstrong, taught me how to shoot a basketball. Oh, yeah. I also remember how my grade 10 and 11 PE teacher taught me how to, you know, go and do work experience and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I had a student last year, uh, so he text messaged me out of the blue or email. I don't remember what it was, but he got a hold of me out of the blue. And actually, maybe I'll pull it up. But just, the, I coached sports for the first 10 years of my educational career. So I came into the board and I, co- I came to the school that I was at and there was no one coaching sports. And I thought, come on, I really want to want to coach and I want to do all this kind of stuff and I want to just get these kids to be able to do stuff because I saw that they were playing soccer and they were playing basketball out on the field and whatnot, but that didn't really do much. So I wanted to give them an outlet. Mm-hmm. So I, the, myself and the vice principal started coaching the boys and the girls teams, the senior teams, the grade sixes and sevens. I coached basketball. I coached soccer. I coached volleyball. I coached flag football. At one point, I even started a submission grappling team at the school wow. with the grade five, sixes, and sevens. And I was at Gracie Baja at the time. And another training partner of mine worked at another school. He started a team at his school. And then another school, this guy was a collegiate wrestler, so he had some stuff going. And he started a team at his school. And we just trained our guys together and taught them some submission grappling. And we all met up at Gracie Baja one day. Wow. And we had, like, this little tournament. And then us coaches competed against each other and whatnot. And it was super cool. But So this guy, this kid sent me a message in June and he said, hi, Jeremy, I want to share this with everyone I need to give credit to in helping me achieve this. You were a pivotal mentor mentor, and role model for me growing up. Thank you for being so impactful in my childhood. And this kid I hadn't seen or heard from in probably 10 plus years. Oh, so wow. he sends me this article from bcbusiness.ca, if it opens, and he was in bcbusiness.ca, 30 under 30, future tech transport. Holy hell. So those are the impacts we have on kids. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't know it at the time, but they see it in years coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because when you told that story about the teacher that called you stupid, I, I can think back to like literally one specific. Because I, I had so many issues growing up in school like I just like uh man I tormented the people that were like leading classes man like it was so bad whether they were like educational assist like the TA like the that's what they call them when like, they're like training to be a teacher yeah like yeah the the, they're the uh practicum teachers mm-hmm. so oh yeah. man I, I like when I when they came in I was like fuck yeah let's <laughs> do this. like it was like a or game substitutes for me. kids yeah. change chairs yeah, pretend they're yeah. someone else oh man <laughs> and I remember there was this one this one lady who like we were supposed to make like covers for the novels that we we're supposed to read like wrap them in paper and, yeah like, yeah protect them and then she's like you have to draw your own cover thing and I've never been like an artistic person like uh, I can't draw if we're shit and I tried drawing this thing and I was already a shit disturber, so I was on her radar. But she like comes by and looks at my thing and she's like, Can you at least try? And I'm like, <laughs> I was. Like I literally <laughs> broke down in tears that day. 
and like I was just like broken in elementary school. And I'm like, fuck this, then I'm never trying. Like yeah. that's like pretty much where I decided. I would think I was like grade three at the time. And I'm like, oh, fuck this, I'm never trying then. Like what the fuck? But I I there's two like two memories burned into my brain is like that, which was like the worst one. And then I had this other teacher, Mr. Kendler in grade four, who like completely got it. Like he when we met, he was like, I get this. Like yeah. he's like, this kid just like doesn't wanna like all the things that I feel like are expected of of like especially boys, but all children in elementary school is like sit sit still stay quiet, don't disrupt things, and listen. And young boys are like, I want to move, and oh, I want to yeah. talk. 100%. And I wanna, like, I want to do all the opposites <laughs> of what you're telling me. And he would, like, take me out before class started, and he's like, all right, run to the end of the field. Yeah. Back. Like, he's like, we got to burn this kid's energy. And he even requested me, like, after we finished grade four, he, like, requested to my parents and to the principal, like, I want him back for grade five. Like, I want to teach him again. Because it was a four-five split yeah. he taught. And he's like, I don't think anyone else can handle him. But like, like the fact that he actually wanted me in his class, I was like, really? Like he wants me there? There you go. It's like, a sign, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's those kind of things are cool. And you can see how it affects you. Again, you remembered that, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. You might not remember your grade seven teacher or your grade two teacher. I tormented or, my grade seven. You know what teacher. I mean though? Like yeah. there's nothing, nothing memorable sticks out to you about that, but those kind of things really hit home. Yeah, it's like the most painful and then like the most rewarding at the same time, 100%. So do you find like, uh, I feel like everything you do is kind of driven by purpose, like whether you're coaching or whether you're like uh, working in the school board when, uh, like, is your plate 100% full? Like, is Always, that- always. I get told I'm, it's just always busy. Like today I have this. I'll go home. I'll do some grocery shopping tonight. I got to go ref some roller hockey. That's crazy. Like man. it's constantly full. Tomorrow, I don't know what I have on my plate, but you know what? That's why, uh, like I said, seventy-five hard. Having those tasks has really forced me to understand how to game plan my day. Yeah, let's get into that. Actually, let's talk about seventy-five hard as well because uh, I just completed a round of seventy-five hard in December. Uh, I had two friends of mine, husband and wife, who just had, they have a six-month-old right now. They just finished 75 Amazing. hard at the end of December. And um, for me, like, one of the biggest lessons was, like, I, as busy as I am, like, I'm I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm pretty much working until, like, 9 o'clock at night. And I was like, man, I'm so busy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this. And then I'm like, I actually feel like I can manage my time way better on this. Like, I feel like having more shit to do (laughs) made me more diligent. But like, uh, I don't know, maybe like just start with telling me your experience of 75 hard. You're on phase one now. I am on phase one. I'm on day 14, 13 today of phase one. I, uh, as I said, off the hop, you're the reason I got involved in it, man. Like... I followed your Instagram. I saw, you know, the calendar that they have for 75 hard. You would post it every few days and whatnot. And I'm, I kept saying, what the hell is that? I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I just saw that you were doing it. So I looked up the app and I downloaded the app about five days before I actually decided to do it. You know, I paid the seven bucks for the app and I was like, okay, wow. I'm, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to do it for sure or not. And then I listened to an Andy Frisella podcast talking about it. And was it like the one where he like literally lays out basically all the, all the stuff? Ba- I, I believe it was. Yeah. I think that might be like episode 108 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But he said, 
there's two people. There's people that think they want to do something, and then there's people that actually do it. And the people that say, I think I'm going to try 75 hard, anybody that says they're going to try 75 hard is going to fail 75 hard. Mm -hmm. So I didn't say I was going to try it. I said I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. So, and another thing that I like that he says is people ask him when he should start, when they should start 75 hard. They should have started it yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I started it. And the first few weeks, I, I know you gave me some tips and whatnot. <laughs> and key one, I, the first few days were tough because I just drank water throughout the day. I was pissing all night, mm -hmm. <laughs> getting up in the middle of the night three, four times. Um, workouts were fine. I always worked out and I always did that. The outdoor workout was tough because I had to find time and, you know, leaving home and finding time to do stuff. So I figured that one out. I would go for a walk and then I'd hit the grocery store and bring home groceries. So it killed my grocery shopping for the night. I'd go for a walk and do that. Um, book reading was huge. I, I don't think I had read a full book in 10 plus years, probably mm -hmm. since like maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember actually reading a ton and now I can't put books down. 10 pages, it seemed daunting at first. And I'm currently reading uh, David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. Hell yeah. And the first two days, I think I went through 75, 80 pages. It Holy was just, shit. that guy's intense. I knew he was intense, so, you know, listening to him on Joe Rogan and whatnot, watching his Instagram. But there's things in that book that just make you think about life, man. Like, holy crap, he went through some struggles. And if he can, if he could push himself the way he did and just being a normal average kid, it just shows that anybody can do it, man. And, yeah. and I felt like a few of the books that I read just really gave me that mindset of just keep pushing, just keep pushing, just keep pushing. Like they say in Finding Nemo, right? <laughs> just keep <laughs> just swimming. swimming. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, man. I, it's funny because I found Andy Frazilla when I first, um, I, I used to work in construction. I still do, but I used to as well, um, which sounds funny, but I quit. <laughs> I quit. What do you mean? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I worked in construction. Uh, my dad owns like a renovation company. So like a lot of the guys in my family all work for him. Like a, it's kind of like a family business. We're all carpenters. Okay. But uh, as I finished high school, I worked with him as like general labor. And then I was like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to work an hourly wage. Like I kind of had like this, like, uh, you know, feeling of like, I just don't want to do this. And there was some issues going on in our family as well. And I just kind of didn't like it. So I was like, I need to figure out my own shit. And I went and worked in sales in a gym. It's not a gym anymore. So I can just say the name, but I worked at Steve Nash. Okay. Um, and I worked in sales and I never had any sales experience or anything. Like, I was like a fucking carpenter. Like, I speak the way I speak. I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a... Yeah, I, I wasn't very... Like, I didn't think of myself as a salesperson, you know? So Which I, probably helped. Yeah, it did. It <laughs> actually did. But um, I was like kind of... When I got the job, I, I, I kind of was more cut out for it than I anticipated because I talked my way through the interview. Like, I, I just... I got the job literally by saying, like... I don't care what I need to do. I'll do whatever it takes to just like work in a gym because that's like the only place I feel happy. Like I was going through like some really bad depression at the time. And I was like, I just don't want to work in construction anymore. I'll do whatever job you guys get me. And they're like, have you done sales before? And I'm like, no, but I'll do literally anything. And, like, <laughs> I, and I love talking. So like, let's do it. 
So I, I get the job and I'm like, fuck, I'm in way over my head. So I start looking for podcasts and listen, doing like stuff. And I found Andy Frazilla's old podcast, which was the MFCEO yeah. project. And I heard him talking about 75 hard. And I was like, man, that sounds crazy. I could never do that. Like, I was like, there's no fucking way I could do that. Like, there's so much shit on the list when I looked at the list. <laughs> and that was 2016, man. And so, wow. like, for, like, two, three years, it sat in my head. I was like, I could never do that. I could never do that. Like, and um, even though I was working out every day, I, I followed a meal plan. I, I was just too into, like... Obviously, in the sales world, there's, like, a lot of partying going on yeah. when you're in the bodybuilding. Like, I did, like, competitive bodybuilding at that time as well. So, I was, like, I just want to work out and party. Like, that's <laughs> all I gave a fuck about. So, like, not drinking and especially, like, not doing drugs was off the table for me. Like, I'm, like, no way. Like, yeah. that's the only time I feel good. And uh, I, But I still listen to his podcast every day. Like, every fucking time he put an episode out, I was listening to the MFCEO Project. And then um, it got to a point where uh, I I worked at the gym for three years, and then uh, I end up like kind of climbing the ladder there, becoming a GM. I quit, and I start trying to do like some online businesses, like drop shipping and a bunch of other things. Like I was like, I'm gonna find my own way to make money. Like I'm gonna start my own businesses, and burn through all my savings in a summer. And then I was like, fuck, I need another, <laughs> I need another job. And uh, so I get a job at a restaurant. I'm working at Brown's as a server. And I'm like, I fucking hate my life. Like, this is so bad. And uh, I, I'm still listening to his podcast all the time. And he, I just hear him talking about, like, you know, like the way that you'll find happiness, the way that you'll find discipline, the way that you'll find, like, all these things uh, that I just wanted so badly in my life that I, I felt like I had those things in some areas of my life, but yeah. not every area. Like I could follow a meal plan because of bodybuilding. I was in the gym every single day or I'd go insane. But there was all these other details in my life that I was just neglecting so much. And uh, I had found David Goggins at the same time. That was the first book I had for 75 Hard as well, actually. But... um yeah, but between finding him, Jocko, and deciding, I was like, okay, I'm going to fucking do 75 hard working at this restaurant where I'm surrounded by fucking all this food, all these excuses to stay up and party and drink. And I'm like, I'm fucking doing this. And uh, I, I still lived at home with my parents, and they thought I was fucking crazy for what I was doing, like, along the way for many reasons. But, <laughs> but yeah, finding 75 hard was just such a transformative time for me in my life. And, uh, I, I, um, yeah, dude, I, 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 like you say, you know, you were in a restaurant surrounded by food, booze, drugs, partying, whatnot. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily surrounded by those things, but when I looked at my calendar, when I said, okay, fuck, I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to do 75 hard. I looked at the calendar and day 75 landed on Christmas or on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so I finished on New Year's day. And I said, you know what? Fuck yes. That's when I'm going to do it. It gives me all the reason to fail. All the reason to have all these indulgence. You know, I could have all the Christmas treats. I could have New Year's Eve where I'm out partying and, and whatnot, which I haven't done in years anyway. But it just gave me a focus to literally stay on pace and stay on track. And I'm like, if I can do this through Christmas and the holidays, pff, what's stopping me from doing anything else? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting for sure. There's uh, I've done it three different times now. I use it like I, I've I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I use it as like a tool every time I feel myself slipping. Like one of the last times, right before I did the round that I just finished, I uh, stepped on the scale at uh, at advantage where we were talking yeah. about. I step on the scale. And like no gi, nothing. Like I'm just like just finished a class, sweat everything out. I'm like, oh, I'm probably pretty light right now. And it's like two twenty seven or something like that. I'm like, holy fuck, I'm fat again. <laughs> holy <laughs> fuck. And I called my girlfriend on the drive home from that class. I'm like, I have to do another round. Like yeah. I fucking slip. <laughs> and it's uh, always the way it is, right? I mean, like when you realize when you think you're you're in a proper place or you're in that sort of lane and you realize fuck i'm not just mm -hmm. means you need to do something yeah you need to do something about it and and people hit me up i didn't post a picture that i was doing 75 hard on the calendar until i think i hit day 30 i wanted to do it for myself i wasn't doing this for anybody else mm -hmm. it's it as andy frisella says it's a mindset thing it's a complete transformation of your mind it's not for anybody else it's not necessarily a fitness program. You will gain fitness and, you know, you'll transform your body because of it. And I think that's where some people fail with this, with 75 Hard, is is the body image. Mm -hmm. I had a person hit me up and say, I tried to do it before and I failed. I tried to do it again and I failed. And I asked why and I said, and they said, because I kept looking at my um, my daily progress pictures and there was no change. And I said, well, how far into it did you get? And they're like, well, day 10. And I said, you're likely not going to see a change in 10 days. And I, and I sort of had to say to them, this program, if you're looking to do it for a body change, that, then this isn't the right program for you. There's stuff out there. You know, go on the keto diet. Go to a gym and, and get a personal coach to help you transform your body. 75 heart isn't meant to change your body. It will happen, but that's not the purpose of it. Mm -hmm. Looking at your progress picture on day one and day 10 is not going to tell you anything. Mm -hmm. Looking at your progress picture on day one and day 75 will tell you something. Even day one and day 30 will tell you something, mm -hmm. but not day one and day 10. Yeah. It's funny because uh, every time I've done it, I've gone through like a pretty substantial body fat loss. And I this time around, I was looking at the pictures and before I started, like I said, like I was getting overweight, like I usually comfortably sit around 200 pounds and I was like, not where I wanted to be. I was like puffy, like carved up, just like full of, yeah. like I was like a water balloon. Man. Yeah. And, um, I look at my pictures back of like, cause when you finish it on the app, you can scroll oh, through yeah. day by day. Yeah. And I, and I would always save them to my phone too. So I have like, uh, photo albums of like the first time I did it yeah. the second time I did it the third time I did it and uh the third time I did it I, I looked back at the pictures and I'm scrolling through them and day one and day 30 like those 30 pictures all almost look identical oh, yeah and then somewhere around like day 34 every single day was almost like a change like it was like nothing 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 for like 34 days yeah and then after that it was like every day was like a slight more slightly more definition slightly more definition and uh, i don't know how yours went too but i look back at like uh, a lot of the pictures and you could see in your face how you felt that i was day. actually just going to mention that to you i took my picture first thing in the morning i know a lot of people take it at night but the thing is is 
a lot of people, that's the number one thing I've heard that people fail on is yeah. the progress yeah, picture. Yeah, they fuck up the picture. Exactly. So I do it first thing when I wake up. I also feel like my body is at its best when I first wake up because there's nothing in it. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say that because I subscribe to the to the 75 Hard subreddit. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I noticed not even for myself, but everybody else, even from day one to day 30, day one to day 40, is the smile on people's faces. <laughs> Day one, you look like shit. You're like, right? You you feel like a slouch. Mm-hmm. You feel like a completely different person come day 30, day 40, day 50. Mm-hmm. This facial expressions are different. You might be tired, but you don't look like a sack of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I well, like I would always, I I always look back as well because there, there, I ended up, I moved halfway through 75 hard. So like I was in between like this place and my last apartment, where like I finish work like 10 hours of construction and then i'd have to get all my stuff like do my workout and then i'd come here and i had to i painted every room in this suite before i moved in and then i'd have to go back home to my apartment and pack my shit up and like fix walls and there was like holes in certain walls and like different things so i'm like literally there was nights where like i'm getting like three hours of sleep four hours of sleep at best for like a week and a half straight and i look at those pictures and you can just see like bags under my eyes like (laughs) like, just like so many like creases in my face and then i'm still smiling because i'm on like day 45 exactly i don't know how like i there was a point where i'm like i don't even know how i'm gonna make it through the next day but i'm just gonna like i would tell myself every night like all right let's finish this shit up go to bed and then like we can just push for one more day. We'll just push for one more day. That's exactly how you have to look at it. You don't look at it as 75 days. You look at it as one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's the way life should be looked at, right? Like we're not looking at yesterday. Future doesn't exist. There's no such, like, really, is there such thing as tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Nope. It's, it's, it's on the calendar, but that shit doesn't actually exist. We're right here right now. I'm sitting right across from you, Mark. Mm-hmm. This is now. Yeah. There's nothing else other than today and now. Yeah. It's that's actually um I don't know if you've ever heard this kind of stuff or had experience with it or know somebody that does, but I um started when I <clears throat> in during the summer I uh quit I quit doing drugs, I quit drinking, like I started going to NA meetings and uh sobering up. And that's like one of the biggest themes <clears throat> excuse me in NA or AA or any 12-step program is like the idea of like just for today, just for today, like and uh, Ed Milet, he also has like a thing that he talks about on his podcast, and he's said it in speeches. He's one of Andy Fazilla's okay. business partners, and he has a story about his father, where his father was an alcoholic and got sober, and he asked his dad, like, "Are you going to be sober for the rest of your life?" And he says, uh, "To tell you the truth, like, I don't know, but I know I will be today." Like, I'm going to stay sober today. And whatever I have to do to keep that promise to myself, like, I'm just doing it for today. Exactly. And uh, That's powerful, though, right? Yeah, and tomorrow is going to be the exact same. And, like, that's what happened to me as well when I started getting sober because I've had my bouts with substance addictions throughout my whole life. Like, where I started playing around with drugs in, like, high school. And then I, uh, after high school, that was where I found my fun, my solitude, and my, uh, you know, where I had kind of a void within myself i tried to fill it with like sex and drugs like that was pretty much it and um i can't remember what where i was on with that but 
I know that when I first started getting sober, this is what I was thinking of. I, I said to my girlfriend, like, I don't know about um, abstinence for life. Like, that idea, like, I don't feel like I'm as bad of a drug addict as the other people in these meetings, but I know that it was making my life unmanageable. So for right now, I'm going with the abstinence thing. And uh, I don't know if I can maintain that for the rest of my life. And she's like, you don't need to know that. Like, you literally just have to make it through the day. That's it. And yeah. I was like, fuck, she gets this better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's that outside perspective that you need, though. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you, you think about it, but you don't necessarily, you can't see it until someone else says it. It's like there's this commercial on TV about this guy with a, I think it's for Tide Pods or something, and it's this guy, this dad in a football Not jersey. Not eat them? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's his dad in a football jersey, and he's like, why is Clay Matthews in my living room? And Clay Matthews starts showing these pictures of him in this football jersey. And it's like, he's wearing it at his daughter's birth. He's wearing it, like, he's drooling on it while he's sleeping. His daughter's sitting there in the room, and Clay Matthews says... How old are you? And she's like, I'm 13. He goes, 13 years you've had this jersey and you've never washed it. And his wife goes, yeah, you should wash that jersey. And Clay Matthews goes, yeah, you should wash that jersey. He goes, yeah, when Clay Matthews says it, it makes sense. <laughs> That's so funny, man. But yeah, dude, 100%. Some people, like, you, you just need that kind of outside perspective. I guess when you're in the thick of it, you just don't really get it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So going through phase one now, because I've actually never even done phase one. How did you like what what kind of mindset did you have like kind of finishing up 75 hard like the whole time were you like, I can't wait to finish this. I need a break like re so I want. Yeah, when I was at day. So I hit day 55, I remember. And I said, OK, I got this. There's you know, I can't fail at this point. Mm -hmm. So 70, 73, 74, 75, I'm there. I hit day 75, and I'm like, cool. I'm going to, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I actually golfed on day 75, and I was, everybody else was like, fuck, let's get drunk. Let's shoot some fireball after we hit birdies and whatnot. And I'm like, dude, I'm drinking. I brought eight water bottles with me so I could hit my gallon of water while we were hitting, hitting the golf course. I was pissing at every hole. But I didn't know what I was going to do the next day. And I woke up on day 76, and I thought, I went for brunch. I remember that. And then I drove home, and I thought, fuck, I haven't drank any water yet today. And it hit me. I realized I need to continue to do this. Like, it w became such a mindset that I took two days off. I know sometimes they say you should take 30 days off and then move into phase one. Uh, I listened to a, one of Andy's podcasts where he said, you know what, don't take more two or three days off before 75 or between 75 hard and phase one because just because. And I will say that for those two days that I wasn't doing the program, I felt like a bum. Mm -hmm. I was still doing stuff. I was still drinking water. I still did a workout. I actually still went for an outdoor walk. I still read, but I didn't do it with intent. And I think that's the key to this program is to make sure you do every single one of those things with intent mm -hmm. and with purpose. And when you go for your outdoor walk, you're not just walking or you're not just running, you're walking with conviction mm -hmm. because it needs to be something. You're not just doing it to do it. You're doing it to make yourself a better person mm -hmm. overall. And so when I got through that second day, I ate a junior bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> I had 
some french fries and i said fuck tomorrow i'm starting phase one fuck yeah and i woke up the next day and i got right at it and i'll tell you phase one is a is definitely a mind fuck compared to 75 hard it only adds three extra tasks but 10 minutes of visualization i do that every night before i go to bed can be tough if if you people out there that are listening have never meditated or visualized. It's tough to keep your mind in one fucking place mm -hmm. and on one thing to visualize. Um, I didn't do th uh, the three power tasks during 75 Hard. I, I knew that was like sort of an added bonus. So on the app, it says you're supposed to do eight. You're supposed to... Or, yeah, so I only do three because what Andy says is if you didn't do it during 75 hard, you only have to add three. So I do three power tasks a day, which are stuff that's not normal to your day-to-day -day life. Just simple stuff like, you know, I'm going to meal prep tonight rather than not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just power tasks that you wouldn't normally do, something that's not a habit. Yeah, and something that's not already like like doing your workout would exactly. be on your that, power list because yes. you have to do it anyway. You have to do it anyway, exactly. And then the big one, like we talked about pre-interview here, is the five-minute cold shower. Anyone can step into a shower. Anybody oh, yeah. can, and it, and it can't be a cold tub because once you get in that tub, it starts to warm up. Yeah, the yeah. cold shower never warms up, man. <laughs> Your body may think it does, but that shit is cold. And the reason you do it is because you need to mentally do it. And sometimes I want to get out of that shower, but what I do is I set my phone the side of the tub, turn on that cold water. Literally, it just sits at the sea of cold. <laughs> turn on some music that's going to get me amped whether it's like Limp Biscuit, old school, like break stuff, Fuck where yeah. I'm like, ah, or Linkin Park, or, or even I, I listened to, uh, or in David Goggins' book, he talked about uh, when he was in the cold water, he would think about, you know, this, one of the songs from Platoon. Yeah. And so I put that on the very first time I did it, and it sort of got me thinking about him in the, in the cold water, and I got through it. And the first few days that I did the cold water, I was in the water for five minutes cold and then I crank it to hot to end my shower and I wash myself and do all that stuff then and I'd po I posted my whole routine on Reddit and a few people in the comment section said that uh, the whole benefits from a cold shower come actually after the cold shower as your body as your body up. warms up itself so don't turn the water hot if you want a hot shower start out hot and then move to cold I couldn't do that because I, I can't go from being awesome in so hot water to yeah. go into cold so i hop right into that cold shower i get my five minutes and then i get out and i'll tell you the first few days were hell but ever since then i've i've not i wouldn't say i crave it i do look forward to it because the body feels fucking amazing afterwards at about a two three minute mark i can feel my skin start to tighten i can feel like blood rush to the top of my skin I feel like everything just feels better. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool th feeling. Um, I think I, I, I continue to do cold shower. Not necessarily five minutes, but because I know, um, what's his name? Huberman. Yeah. He talks Andrew. about, you know, yeah, Andrew Huberman. He talks about the cold plunges and cold showers and stuff. And he says something like 11 hour or 11 minutes a week will get it done. So you don't necessarily need five minutes a day. But for this phase... I'm kicking its ass. Dude, that's like the one thing. Like I, I like to pride myself on like certain levels of discipline in certain areas. Like I can wake up early. I can do like I was I see that on your social media. <laughs> yeah. I uh 
my my 75 hard like my i would always do my cardio first thing in the morning and like rain sun snow whatever like i was running like seven kilometers a day and uh the one thing i would tell myself while i'm out there just freezing my fucking balls off is like in in literally 40 minutes you'll be in a warm shower like it's all good like it's all good and Man, I've done cold plunges. I've gone and jumped in the ocean. I've done, like, I, I the first time I did a cold plunge was, like, 11 minutes up in, like, North Van in, like, the glacier yeah, water. Yeah. And, um, dude, I can do cold tubs. I can do that kind of stuff. I hate it, but I can do it. But cold showers are a fucking another level, dude. They are. I don't know. Like, that's the one thing that I'd say intimidates me the most with phase one to be if to be 100% transparent is the cold showers because like cold showers i do them most of the time throughout the year i can i can do like 30 seconds to a minute and it's like man the running water is a different beast than like still water yeah 100 percent it is because it's beating off of your skin i feel the first few times when i'd turn my back and i'd have that water on my back i'd feel like it was burning Mm-hmm. And I'm in cold water. Yeah, that's yeah. the craziest feeling in the world. Yeah, but I'll say that if you can get f- through, like I've had people tell me, "Oh man, I I went into a cold shower and I I went for thirty to thirty seconds to a minute." I'm like, dude, if you can get through thirty seconds to a minute, you can get through the full five. Yeah, I promise you that. If you can get through a minute, a minute and a half, your body is there already. Yeah, you got to just try. Fuck, <laughs> you're motivating me right now, man. I'm like, fuck, this is something I need to do now. But um, that's crazy, man. What um, have you found? Like any other areas of your life kind of I- improved from this? Like your patience for people, or like any I've always other... had to have a patience with the job that I have. I've found yeah. that my patience at home has helped, as as improved. I've found that my communication. With people around me, I think has improved. I don't know why that is with this program, but I think it must be the mental game, the mindset. Um, I'm not as tuned out with life, I think. I'm more in the moment than anything else. It's definitely taught me that even though I'm a busy guy, like as you said, my plate is always full, that I can still look at things with you know the glass half full and mm-hmm. still add more. I saw in David Goggins' book a few chapters ago that I was reading one of the challenges. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't done any of the challenges at I, the end of the chapters. Yeah, I didn't either. But one of them was to keep track of your day and you know note down every single thing you do. And if you do that, you'll notice that you have two or three hours in your day where you did absolutely nothing and you could do more with your day. Mm-hmm. So I think about when I'm on my phone. Do I need to be on my phone? I think about when I'm on my computer, do I need to be on my computer? Sometimes I want to play video games. Cool. But do I need to do it for as long as I have? No, not necessarily. Do I need to watch TV at night or should I be reading? You know, things like that. And I think those things have opened up my mind and helped me be a better person with everybody else around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, I part of my morning routine is to journal. Yeah, and uh, there's so many times where like uh, I'll sit down and like part of the part of the idea of it is I have to uh, get my blood flowing. Like usually do a workout, and then I'll sit down and journal. And I can't touch my phone until I'm done journaling. Like I have to do. A, I call it my like mind dump. Like I have to yeah. dump everything out of my brain before I'm willing to put anything into it. So like, I can't check my phone, look at Instagram, look at anything like that. And there's been times where like, 
Because uh, I don't bring my phone in my bedroom either. I usually leave my phone sitting right here charging okay. overnight. Yeah. And I'll come and sit down right here and start journaling. And then there's like a, oh, I got to message Jeremy back about the the podcast interview. So I'll like go and I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to message him. And I'll open it up <laughs> and I get sucked into Instagram. Of course. And then I'll write down in my journal like, I just fucked up and got sucked into <laughs> social media for like 15 minutes. And now I'm finally journaling. Like it's, it's, um... Keeping track of my day that way has like been something that got drilled into me because of seventy five hard. Like it was one of those things where uh, I purely started it for like the mental health reasons. Like a couple years ago, it was like right as I was quitting the gym, and ever since then, it's been like kind of a, a daily thing that I do for the last couple years. And uh, once I started doing seventy five hard, I adopted like the uh, powerless thing. Yeah. And that's just like kind of what keeps my brain like afloat throughout the day is like, I know I have these five things that I have to do throughout the day. And, uh, as long as I can do those, like, I don't know if you have dealt with anxiety in your life or anything like that, but it mitigates the level of anxiety that I, I will feel. say. I, I never thought I did, but looking back and feeling like, like I said, the way I have the last few weeks, months, uh, definitely anxiety has built up. I've totally had anxiety my whole life. Mm -hmm. I would have never noticed it had I not done 75 hard, I think, mm -hmm. because it's made me focus on things. It's made me realize what's going on in my life. Yeah. I, I just find that when I keep a list like that, then, um, for me at least, like for the, I guess I can only explain from my perspective, but when I wake up, especially like early in the morning, my cortisol levels are high. My heart's like, just like, whoa, what the fuck? And usually the first thought is like five more minutes, man, 10 more minutes oh, of yeah. sleep. Snooze. And uh, that's part of the reason I don't keep my phone in here. I let my alarm go off so that I have to fucking walk over yeah. to it. And uh, instantly I'm like, holy fuck, I'm going to have so many things to do today. Like, I don't know what the fuck, where to start. Like... What if I don't finish this? What if I don't finish that? Like, what if I let these people down? What if I can't make it to, like, my girlfriend's family dinner tonight because I have to edit enough podcasts <laughs> for the week? Like, there's all these different things. So just keeping, a, a, like, a list of, like, okay, as long as I can do these five things and I complete those, any other anxiety is probably not warranted. Like, it's yep. just, like, it's just a feeling. Um and my feelings aren't going to kill me. Like, what's going to kill me is, like, if I actually fuck my life up. So as long as I can exactly. make sure I don't fuck my life up, the feelings are going to come and go. Like, it's just a roller coaster. Like, it is what it is. And then the other side of surviving that is just, like, doing the things like you're explaining. Like, if you fucking have to force yourself through, like, running or walking through the snow and then a cold shower, when someone comes and complains to you about something and you're, like, like five years ago, I would have flipped my lid and screamed yes. at this person. But now it's like, dude, I did 10 things that fucking pissed me off before this happened. Exactly. Like, I will say I, I have less road rage, man. Driving yeah. down the street, someone could cut me off. I'm not flipping them the bird anymore. Yeah. You know, like you say, I did five minutes in a freaking cold shower and whatnot. And like I read Winning as one of my books, Tim yeah. Grover. And his, his statement that really sticks true and, like, should be up in rooms everywhere is mind is oh. greater than feelings. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that just proves it. Like you said, everything else is just a feeling. Yeah, yeah. Your mind is way stronger than your feelings. 
Yeah. Well, and just because, like, you're, like, the way I view it is, like, I've already done things that I didn't want to do 10 times today before I encountered this thing that you brought to me. Like, whether it's, like, your partner brings you a problem or, like, you something you fuck like i fuck things up all the time at work like when you're building things and like you cut something too short or too like whatever it could be and you're like oh that's wasted material there's times where like i've come to my dad and i'm like i don't think i'm cut out for this like i fucked up this at work today i like I, like the customers going to be pissed like blah, blah 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 like there was so many times where i let things just break me down and get to me to the point where i'm like i'm a failure like i'm fucked and then when you're pushing yourself through those those difficult things where it's like I've already pissed myself off 10 other times today like this that's nothing 100% and and you got to also think that you've done 10 things that 90% of the people that you've seen today haven't done mm-hmm. you're doing shit out of your own comfort zone that those other people won't do and probably never would do so yeah. how good does that make you feel? Yeah. I, I had to actually check myself, though, because um, there, there and this is kind of just like a battle with my own ego where I would have people come to me with things that they're struggling with. Like, say, like, my girlfriend would come to me and she's like, oh, I'm dealing with this problem. And, like, there gets to be a point through 75 hard where you start to view other things as, like, non-issues. And you're like, Okay, so, <laughs> like, and it, it almost made me insensitive to, like, my friends and family members because they'd be like, I'm struggling with this thing, and I'm like, just do this. I feel that. I'll be like that, and I'll be like, you know what? I think we just need to be kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes kindness prevails, and you know what? Not everybody wants to be kind, but at the end of the day, like, there's bigger fish to fry. Being such a busy guy, do you find that, like, people come up to you with issues? Because I feel like you'll probably have, like, a similar, like, brain pattern that I have where it's, like, problem comes up, here's a solution, go do that. hundred, yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. That's exactly the way it goes. And and you, the thing is, is we're not psychologists or psychiatrists, man. People come to us with problems and, and come to us to try and, and help them, but we can't deal with everything. Yeah. Right? Like, we're, we're just human beings like the rest of you. We've done cool shit. We're doing this podcast right now, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we might not be able to solve your problems. Yeah. Do you find, though, because, like, there's a, obviously, like, a lot of people that look up to you. Like, you have, like, uh, do you just have one daughter or? I have I have a daughter and two stepkids. The stepkids are older. They're 28 and 26. So, so I was with them since they were nine and seven. So they must come to you and like come in and look for seek advice for certain issues that they're At going times, through. Yeah. Um, do you find yourself like kind of uh, struggling to keep like kind of uh, like to view things from their perspective? Like because I feel like sometimes I I can be a little bit insensitive to just hearing like especially with like having sisters and obviously my girlfriend and then like my mom like other women in my life like I find that women are always kind of like just needing to be heard with their problem and do you find that like you ever struggle just like being there to be an ear like because I find when they I find that I'm I'm actually better at that now than I used to be I've always tried to back in the day I would try to give my feedback give solutions and that would end up causing more of an issue at the time (laughs) (laughs) that they oftentimes don't want to hear. And I'm not necessarily saying women, but I'm saying like anybody that comes to you with problems. Um, 
but yeah, being just a sort of a soundboard is is better at times than giving the feedback that they don't want to hear, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes people come to you with questions, seeking advice, seeking counsel, whatever they want to ask you, but they have a thought process behind what they want to hear. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like people will come to me and they'll ask me a question and I give them an answer and it's not what they wanted to hear, right? Like like you said, when someone comes to ask you something and you're like, yeah, just go do it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not necessarily what they wanted. They wanted to step by step by step by step and that's not the way life works. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to figure it out yourself. So it's probably better just to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, man. <laughs> Do you, because you, so, yeah, that makes sense. Because I feel like a lot of the times I, uh, I struggle with that where I'm like, there's the solution, like, just go do it. Yes. And, and I have a problem because I have such a big mouth and I sometimes come off as an asshole. Or, you and me both. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I'll, I'll get told, dude, you can't say it like that. Yeah. It's just the way I'm blunt, I'm honest. I say things as they are, and I'm learning to sort of step back a little bit. Have you struggled with that through the school board system? Hundred percent. Okay. Oh yeah. Because um, I feel like that's but, the only. But but I read this. I read. I try to read the environment. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out the way I want it to, um, and I think that I can say things in certain areas, and it comes back to bite me in the ass, and and I get talked to and whatnot, but. For the most part, I try to read the the room that I'm in, and I can you know be sarcastic with certain people and whatnot. And I feel like the the group that we have right now that I'm in, I I can be just my complete self. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, I've had to you know put on a mask basically. Is it, is it harder to talk to your own kids or other people's kids? My own kids for sure. Um, other people's kids, I can tell them whatever I need to tell them whatever I want to tell them, if they go home and tell their parents, so be it, because you know what? Your kid needed to hear that. With my own kids, I feel like I need to, like you said, you need to sort of internalize and not do what you would do, but think about their feelings and how they would do. And I'm really, I really struggle with this right now um, to just think through their eyes rather than my own eyes. Yeah. Cause I feel like, um, yeah, with your own kids, it's all like, cause when you're with someone else's kid, you're like, okay, like I'm only with you for like an hour or two. It's or like three the anti syndrome, right? Or grandparent syndrome, you know, you're there with you for an hour or two and you can give them back. Yeah. <laughs> well, not just that, but it's like, oh, I can help you with this problem or this solution. Like I can just give you the solution. Whereas like with your own children, it's like you kind of need to let them figure out how to think and how to process yes. problems. Cause you're like. Look, like at the end of the day, I'm not always going to be around and I want you to function as an adult and be able to be there for someone else. Like you need to learn how to do this first. Exactly. Yeah. Parenting is hard, man. I can only imagine, man. I've, I've fucked up so many leadership positions. Like I, I got put into a general manager role at the gym, like I think way too prematurely. And, uh, there was so many times where like I had pushed people to the brink of like just about to quit. And then they went and worked under a different leader and they were like 10 times the performers they were for me. And I was like, I can't believe I fucked that up so bad. (laughs) I thought that guy was a dud. Like, and I was the fucking dud. Oh man. But you look back on it and you learn from it. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And there's just so many different times where like I was like just full entitlement. Like it was like my way or the highway, bro. Like <laughs> if you don't do things my way, I've found success through it. So why can't you? Like what the fuck? Like you're obviously the one that's broken. What changed that mindset? Um, like I said, seeing them work for other people and being successful. And I'd be like, fuck, how come I couldn't do that? Like, I thought I was a good leader because I could perform. Yeah. And then um, just reading different books, like reading a lot of Jocko's stuff was like, oh, shit, I'm a terrible leader. Like, holy fuck. And I think the, one of the biggest things was um, it was starting jujitsu. And then there was a couple other things like coming back to construction and being a better student. Okay. Was really kind of what opened my eyes to being a better leader because as I was going back to points in my life where like coming back to carpentry, there was so many things I didn't know. Starting jujitsu, obviously, is the exact same thing. Like there's so many things I didn't know. And I looked at the patience levels of the people that were teaching me things. And I was like, how come I never had this? Like I was such a shitty leader. Like I could have never taught me. You know what I yeah. mean? So going back to the point where like, okay, you're starting from scratch, you're starting from zero to like having to learn something, uh, it gave me a better reflection on like, what if I had to do this for someone else? Like I did have to, but like, what if I had to do it right now? Yes. Like there's no way I could have taught myself the same things I was trying to teach other people just because of how hard headed I am. So I was like, man, these people were probably better students. Like, no, I could say definitely. These people were better students than I am right now. And I was supposed to teach them and I fucked that up. Does, does that, that weigh make, on you? Does that make sense? Still? Um, not as much now. Because I think a lot of the point, well, probably part of it is like I don't have the responsibility yeah. for it. Because I'm not in that position any longer. And, um... I guess kind of it does weigh on me still, but I'd like to think I'm getting better at it. I'd still see myself in certain leadership positions. Like I have the mental health group. Yeah. And um, I think that even when you're in like a relationship, you're a leader. Like I think that that's kind of a role that each partner kind of takes on at certain areas. There's certain uh, different areas in life. Like a lot of the time... Um, I think it's pretty typical for like men to kind of be like we were saying, like the soundboard for their girlfriends or for their wives. And so like, I find that that in and of itself can be a leadership position sometimes. Like it's kind of like, uh, you have someone coming to you and they're dumping baggage on you. That's how it feels sometimes at least. And it's like, like sometimes th there's times where in the very beginning of my relationship, like we've been together for a few years now and, and it's like, in the very beginning, I was a lot more of what I'm saying, like what yeah. I was asking you about, where she'd come and be like, oh, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, and I'm like, okay, go do this. Like, why are you talking yes. to me? Like, why are you even talking to me about <laughs> this? Like, you know the solution. And she's like, yeah, I know, but I'm here to talk. Like, you're my boyfriend. Like, fucking listen to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And so, like, that was a hard fucking lesson for me to learn is to just be able to be like, Oh, she's not looking for the solution. Like she's just looking to listen. She yeah, she they just want to talk. Yeah, right? It's just like the way that they and I find that there's um different ways that people figure out solutions. Like I feel well, like, like you said, you you're journaling every morning. Mhm. Mm 
sometimes people just need to talk. Mm-hmm. And that's the way they get stuff out there. It's not necessarily a solution, but it's them being able to validate their feelings. Mm. Yeah, or even just work around. Like a lot of the time I forget that uh, journaling is a great way for me to figure out my thoughts. I do a lot of good thinking while I'm running as well. Like that's another really good time for me to do like kind of problem solving in my life. Yeah. But I forget that for hours a week, I sit and talk to my phone about the things that I'm thinking about. And then I go back and listen to it. So I have an opportunity to be like, oh, I think that way. Like, you know what I mean? Like I can hear my own thoughts so I can evaluate like my own thought process. Whereas 99% of people don't have that outlet. Exactly. So they have to speak to other people to hear their own thoughts. And just even like without getting advice, when they can vocalize something and then someone else hears it and they see like a facial reaction or something like yeah. that, they're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Like, maybe I don't think that way. Maybe. Or it, like I said, it validates them. Yeah. Or they think, right? oh, I should think exactly. that. You know? like, yes. like it's, it's kind of like, uh, I already, I forget that I already have that opportunity through speaking to my phone and then listening to it. Like yes. I already hear my own ideas. And so I'm like either, yes, that that's concrete. Like let's solidify this. Or like, why did I think that way? It's so <laughs> dumb. It makes sense. Do you, yeah, man. I can only imagine having teenage daughters, watching my parents, because like I have an older sister and a younger sister. Like I could imagine that that's such a, um, it's such a stressful thing. And I think that men and women they just think so differently. So watching like my mom deal with my sisters when they were teenagers was so different than the way my dad did. Like there was um a lot more, I guess, kind of like, uh, I guess more leeway with him because a lot of like, my mom was a stay at home mom and okay. my dad was out all the time. So like, he wasn't always expected to be that emotional support. Whereas like, I feel like, um, nowadays, like kind of, I like with the next generation, men are kind of around more and they're, I feel like more emotionally present now. Whereas like, I don't know about your father or what your family was like growing up, but like my dad is like the same way that we're talking about right now. Like he's like, what, what's depression? What's anxiety? Like go work. Like what the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? Like, did you wake up this morning? Great. Then go work. Like that's it. Like I feel like now it'd be so much more. It's, it's like, I feel like more rewarding, but more difficult. We're in a weird day and age though too, right? Like social media, you know, cell phones, everything that these kids, yeah, it's great. It's, it's tough. And you also can't be the parent that says, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to say no, but you can't be the parent that doesn't give your kid a phone because then they're that odd kid at school, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's fine lines and it's really tough to sort of find the right path. And sometimes you don't find the right path and you got to find that fork in the road and lead yourself back down what you think is the right path and it might not be and you know as we say we try to live day to day every single day is going to be different and we just try to go through the process man yeah that must be scary too dude there's um it is and i mean like like i don't know where it was it was in ontario or something there was a mob of teenage girls that attacked another girl and i think they t- 
10 girls attacked one girl and it was like mob mentality the girl ended up dying this is a university athlete could have been i, I mean, don't she was a hockey player okay and these kids that attacked her didn't even really know each other i believe i think they they all met each other on social media like the it's so wild the way the world is working these days it's so different and and you know, people that are older, like older kids that are in their 20s are like, well, why didn't you teach us this way? Or why did, why did we do this? And it's tough because it's completely different. If you have to, I mean, even five years from now, you're going to have to parent different than you parent today. Yeah. And it's so weird because I feel like every generation has like a technological advance where like, my my parents used to say to us like, "Oh, we didn't have video games, we didn't yes. have TVs, and now it's smartphones." And this is the first time where I'm like, "This is a big problem." Like, this isn't even like I don't even have kids yet, and this is a big fucking problem. And you're seeing people kind of parent with the iPad, or there's even times like today, like I'm at church this morning, and the guy sitting next to me is like on his phone the whole time, and I kept feeling the urge to be like, "Put your fucking phone away." Yeah, and I, and I, I was like. Don't say anything. Like, just stay in your own fucking world. Like, it doesn't fucking affect you. But it's like, I don't know how I would try and police that if it were my child, you know? Because I have I was, like, right on the cusp of having smartphones as a teenager. Like, I was, like, just before that. Yeah. And so I, I guess, was fortunate enough to just barely squeak by of like knowing a world where that didn't exist for sure and um it's weird because i have that experience i'm able to set boundaries for myself like and, and it's fucked up too because it's such a weird way to think about a human being functioning of like having to set boundaries for yourself like oh i'm only gonna use that like it's like a literal drug addiction oh yeah like like there's um it's kind of a weird like culture like the the recovery from addiction like uh, in terms of like substance abuse and stuff where like you'll see people that relapse because they write they call it like writing a contract with yourself like oh I, i'm gonna use just on weekends you of know course I mean? <laughs> like oh i'm only gonna use on like uh friday nights after work <laughs> like like i'm all they they write contracts and then slowly and slowly they're using again like full time it's like a diet even you know, someone says, oh, I, I do the keto diet Monday through Friday. Yeah. You're yeah, not yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. I'm, a, I'm a vegan Monday through Friday. Then yeah. guess what? You're not really a fucking vegan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like the same thing where like I've, I've, I've had to limit myself from, excuse me, social media use where it's like I've set boundaries where like, oh, I'm not going to use it between these hours. I don't, I'm not going to even look at a screen between certain hours of my day. And uh, I can't imagine you know, the next generation coming up where they're like, that's not even a thing they think about. No. Like, they're like, what do you mean not use my smartphone? Why would I do math in my head? I yeah. <laughs> like, I remember as a kid, they would tell us in math class, like, you're not always going to have a calculator on you. Exactly. Like, no, I do now. Yes. No, I literally do. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to think about anything. <laughs> like, I could literally Google anything. Well, and with, like, the new generation, they have chat GPT now, which, like, you know, I don't know if you've played around with it at all. I'm but too scared. I'm not touching it. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, you could literally type in anything. Write me an essay on this, and it'll write it. So there's, like, zero plagiarism because it's written it for you, and mm -hmm. they can't find out where it came from. Like, 
kids can be writing full essays on anything and they didn't even write them themselves. I, I it's actually scary because uh, yesterday I did like a solo recording. Yeah. And I was sitting down, like, kind of reviewing, because I'll usually, I don't, like, write a script for myself or anything like that, but I'll usually come up with a topic, and then I'll maybe think about a story of my life where it kind of relates to it, and then, like, one or two pointers, and that's pretty much it. Like, I, I, I have no problem just talking off the cuff, so it doesn't really affect me, but I was like... I wonder if I could just get an episode typed up by this. And I'm like, I'm not fucking playing with that. You game. totally could. My dad was watching the news the other day, and this newscaster did this whole story on, I don't even know what it was, but she did a full story. And then at the end of the story, she said, thank you to ChatGPT. You wrote that story for me. That's It didn't even exist. That's fucking insane. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know, man. I've I listened to a lot of different podcasts, and I've heard like a lot of different ideas on where it could go. Jordan Peterson had one out there. Really, I, my dad sent me it yesterday. I'll send it to you later, and it like it's scary, man. Because I heard Joe Rogan talk about it with Brett Weinstein, and um, Andy Frazilla has obviously talked about it a few times, and and they do not have very optimistic ideas on where it's going, man. And that's why I'm like, I don't want to touch it. Like I'm yeah. too scared. Yeah. Like, as someone that, especially with you as well, like, someone that creates stuff, like, with, like, having a website, and you're like, oh, this is the cheat code for Exactly. Everything. Like, last night, I actually toyed around with it a little bit. Last night, there was a UFC event, and, and they announced John Jones versus Cyril oh, yeah, Gann. Oh, yeah, Yeah, for the heavyweight title, because Francis Ngannou got stripped, and he's no longer with the UFC, which mm. is crazy in itself. Wait, what? Yeah, so because I thought they were just gonna like they were just no, gonna keep so, an intern champion. No, so that's actually for the heavyweight title. Francis Ngannou is a free agent now and no longer. Oh, that's with why the he's UFC. gonna do that boxing match. So yeah, is he actually gonna do that boxing match? There's it, nothing's really set in stone yet. A lot okay. of people are sort of thinking that he might go to the PFL. Who knows? But he's got his own uh, life in his own hands right now. Wow, he's not with the UFC. But so they announced Jones versus Gone. I go into ChatGPT and I type in, you know, do a something on Jones versus Gone announcement. And it actually gave me an entire article of on fight. how the fight went. The they fight. haven't even fought yet. And it says John Jones won in spectacular fashion and whatnot. I should almost keep it just to see if that plays out in true. It. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of things where, like, because uh, you can alter it, right? Yes. Because, yeah. And right now it's just very surface level, like it's taking stuff off of the internet and whatnot, but it's going to start to get like way higher level than what it's at right now. Can you imagine just like picks from other fights? Like it's like head kick right oh, yeah. at the very end, like Kamaru is like yeah. right at the end of the fight. Like it's like, no, I've already watched this exactly. fight. Exactly. I've already watched this fight. What do you think? Um, I've got a very like... Uh, rudimentary understanding of like the pfl thing but i saw that what's his fucking name just signed on as one of the like the owners yeah or jake paul jake paul and so where do you think because he's talking all this stuff about like how the fighters going to make more money yeah. they're going to be able to have their own advertising like there's all these different rights for the fighters it's going to be interesting i know he's trying to do it from like obviously a very Money making, money making mindset, and and also helping fighters make money, which is great. But it's been tried before. We, you know, even with the biggest conglomerates out there, like we saw Showtime try it with Elite XC back in the day, and they had like Fedor, and they had all these other fighters. It failed. Um, 
it's the biggest names in in HBO boxing. HBO boxing yeah. is no longer around, right? Like it's it's been out there and it's been tried and fighters have tried to come together and and form unions and whatnot and it's never worked because not everybody wants to be aboard. So it's going to be interesting to see the way this plays out. I think Jake has the right mindset. Is he the biggest name in the world? Um, in terms of MMA, no. He's definitely done a ton for boxing the past few years, which is crazy in itself as so a weird, guy who's man. a YouTuber who so. came out with, like, It's Every Day, Bro. Um, but it, it, it's definitely putting PFL more on the map than it was. And I will say that it's probably going to make PFL the number two promotion in the world. Wow. Do you think If that... they're not already as it is. Yeah. And but it, it's cool. I don't know. It's weird to think that there's guys like Fedor who like slipped through the cracks and never made it into the UF. Like he, they, they just couldn't get him. Yeah. And it's weird to think that it's like UFC in my eyes has been and probably always will be number one. But then there's still like top tier elite fighters that they just never get a hold of. They never get a hold of. Um, there's fighters that have actually taken their money into their own hands and left, like like Ngannou is, um, Arjun Bular from here in Richmond, Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah. He, he went to the same high school as me. He oh, came did he? And nice. Spoke. Yeah, he, nice. went, he came and spoke to the great. That's 12s cool because he was in the UFC and he was on a winning streak and he decided to leave himself to go fight for one championship. Uh, I don't know whether Jeremy Kennedy was released from the promotion or whether he left himself, but he left and he went and fought for Brave. He went and fought for PFL. He's now with Bellator. So a lot of the young fighters coming up, and I've always told guys this locally, that you shouldn't be UFC or bust. If you're looking at this as your job, not as just you know fighting MMA, then you got to be looking to make the most money. Mm. And the UFC is not going to make you the most money as an entry-level fighter. You're going to make 10 and 10. So you get $10,000 to show, and if you lose, that's all you get. Mm. Other promotions, you're still getting to do your sponsorships. You're still getting to wear other stuff on your fight gear, not just you know what they wear in the UFC, the UFC Venom, shorts, whatever yeah. it is. It used to be Reebok, all just garbage-looking <laughs> trash. that yeah. like It's like you know Minecraft kind of stuff. <laughs> but... If you have control of your own self, mm-hmm. you're you're a general contractor as a fighter, basically, mm-hmm. right? So if you can control your own assets and make the most money possible, why wouldn't you do that? I had a local fighter come up to me when he was out of contract, actually, and ask me, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm just a media guy. Why are you asking <laughs> me? And we were at a jiu-jitsu event when he asked me, actually. And I'm like, he started telling me this story about a champion from a promotion who's only making eight grand to show and then a bonus on top of that if he wins. I'm like, well, why would you go there? And he's like, you're right. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, are you getting contracts from elsewhere? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, but what are you making where you're at now? And he's like, well, over a hundred grand, this and that. And I'm like, I think... It, it, there you go, man. Like, stay there. Like, sounds right? like you've got a career. Exactly. <laughs> so, I think a lot of people, and especially young fighters, are UFC or bust, but they just, it's because the UFC is a monopoly and they just see it as this big, sparkly, shining light. And it's the name. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people out there train UFC. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or they, they just know the UFC, they don't know any other promotions. Mm-hmm. So, 
from a fighter's mindset, if they want to be seen by people, then it's UFC. Yeah. It's weird how it's one of the only sports where you aren't, like, because I feel like, like, say, like, basketball, you can get, like, a Nike deal. Oh, yeah. You can wear Nike everything. And then there's other guys that have, like, a Reebok deal. Yes. And it's one of the only sports where it's, like, you just wear our shit. Oh, yeah. You only wear our shit. See, you can get sponsorships and stuff, but you can't wear it when you're with the UFC. So, like, you can get sponsorships and post it on social media when you're training in the gym. Yeah. But the most eyes around you are when you're going to be in the octagon fighting. So, Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. I think uh, it's cool to see... I think there's other there's other things where it's cool to see like uh even like in the jujitsu world with like Gordon Ryan how oh, he's yeah. like able to come up and just like openly be like, Yeah, I'm taking PEDs. Who gives a fuck? Like, yeah. They, there's no there's no reason to subject himself to testing or anything like that. And I feel like that's one of the one constraints for like a lot of guys going into the UFC where they're like, Why would I do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would I do that? Exactly. Like the liver king, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> fuck, man. That's a fucking another thing in and of itself. I forgot to say as well, um, in the very beginning of the conversation, you were talking about like uh, when you th- had thoughts of having to change your own name for MMA yeah. sucker. Did you listen to the... Um, Joe Rogan had an interview with Derek from More Plates, More Dates, where he talked I, about I listened these. to some of it, but not... Oh, yeah, and he was talking about changing the he name. He said the exact same yeah. thing, where he's like, should I change the name? And Joe's like... No, dude, don't do that. Like, you, it's perfect. Like, yeah, it's like kind of charming. Like, yeah, it's like almost like charming the way that you have it. I, I, I wanted to bring that up because I'm like, don't change the name. Yeah, right? it's so cool. <laughs> well, we're so deep into it now. Just like I said with my job at the school board, I'm so deep into it. There's no turning back now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there is and there isn't. But I think like there's so many people. A like you already have so many people that know about it, where it's like um why would you like people already see the name and they're like, yeah. Oh, I've been following this for so long. Like, Who's this? Like, yes. what the fuck? But I also think like, it's like, it's attention seeking. Like when I first saw the MMA sucker page, I'm like, at first I'm like, what the fuck is this? A meme page? A and, lot of people thought that. And then I was <laughs> like, I, I like, it made me more curious. I'm yes. Like, oh, they have a website. Oh, it's just like a meme website. And then I go to the <laughs> website. I'm like, Oh shit! These guys are the real deal. Like they actually know what they're talking about. Like now, that's literally where I go to joke to go and look at like because I'm not always in the loop. Like I don't watch every single Saturday. Yeah. I don't watch every fight. Like that, I'll, I'll watch like certain fights of just like the guys that I like. Yeah, and then other than that, I just watch highlights. I will say our site has become sort of the niche site for results, and not just results of the UFC, but like of regional promotions that a lot of people wouldn't see and 90 i would say 90 percent of our monthly traffic comes from those regional results posts yeah which is crazy even with like bfl stuff like oh, that's yeah. where i look for it yeah like literally all the stuff like there's no way i'm gonna go and watch the streams like a lot, i'm not even gonna lie like i just don't want to pay for half the shit yeah and i'm like i'll just go there now like that's <laughs> literally so i gotta thank you bro because that's where i go at, on, on like a saturday where I'm like, I'm not staying up. Like, the fights usually start when I'm getting ready for bed. So I'm like, I'm not going to stay up. Like, I'll check it in the morning. I'll I'll go look at MMA sucker in the morning. Nice, man. So I got to say, I got to thank you for that. Um, You said earlier that in the last little while, you've kind of uh, started to find yourself getting more anxious 
um, aside from with like kind of 75 hard and staying focused on that, how have you kind of kept yourself grounded and how have you kind of stayed? Um, and I can't really speak to how you are mentally right now, but like, how have you kind of stayed afloat? Like, how have you do like, if you feel like you're just treading water, how do you keep, keep treading water? How do you kind of get through this kind of, it's tough to say, man, life? day in, day out is, has been different each and every day. I'll say that the days that I have jujitsu and I've, some days I haven't been able to go because of the struggles and whatnot. And I, I've, but when I have gone, I've found that it's definitely helped. I'm like, fuck, why didn't I come yesterday? You know what I mean? Uh, going for walks, like you said, going for runs has helped you, you know, visualize and, and do that kind of stuff. Going for walks has definitely helped. Um, just yapping at work sometimes helps a lot too. The break room at my, at my school is really good for me. Having the same people on my breaks every single day has helped just talking at home with my wife, like everything, those kind of things, just being able to vent. And I know, like you said, we talked about earlier, the, you know, the women in our life are usually the ones to vent. These days, I feel like I'm the one that's, you know, sort of venting more than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say as well, like my girlfriend is like almost like, um, yeah, she's a soundboard for me as well. Like I, I'm able to just like, there's certain things in my life where I'm like struggling with, like even with like the podcast or the mental health group where I'm like, I don't know if I can keep doing this part of it. Like, I don't know if this is even successful. Like, should I even be doing this? Like, what the fuck? And she's like, just like literally just sitting there bouncing ideas. Or uh, There's a lot of times as well where she's the one where she's like, just do this, just do yeah. that. And I'm like, fuck, like I, uh, I do need that as well. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy, but I feel like as well, do you have like uh, friends or people around you that you're like, because um, I feel like a lot of the conversations people have at work with coworkers, like I only really work with one guy as my okay. cousin. And so like a lot of the times we don't really talk, like it's kind of like not like super like macho environment because yeah, it is yeah. my older cousin. So like we're pretty like open with each other about a lot of things. But like I feel like a lot of people when they talk to coworkers, they don't talk about their actual problems. Like it's I like- I try a, to. Yeah, I try to. Yeah, there's a few people I have that I that I definitely try to dive deep with. At the gym or at the school or not necessarily at the gym at school. Yeah, at the gym I try to just teach jujitsu. I try to not dive too deep into other aspects. I have before, but I don't know. I try to just stay in my lane there. Yeah, and that's how it's been for me at like most jobs as well. Because I, I feel like, uh, especially when I worked in the restaurant, I was I, I already had the mindset when I got that job, like, because of my experience at the gym, I was like, I don't want to fucking be emotionally attached to this place at all. I want to go there, clock in, clock out, that's it. Like, yeah. I don't really give a fuck about these people. I even said that to the manager, like, I'm not here to make friends, I'm here to make money. Like, I, I really don't want to have a job where I'm emotionally tied to it. Yeah, and I feel like at jiu-jitsu, as much as it is, you know, a social environment, I'm there to train, I'm there to teach. Uh, there are, I do consider everybody their family and friends, but do I want to put, I don't want to put my problems on them, even though it could help. You never know. The more people you talk to, the more help you can get. But 
I don't want the gym to be a negative environment for me. I want the gym to be my positive and sort of a getaway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the nice things about jiu-jitsu is it's like, um, at least in my experience, like I have like uh, drop in the bucket compared to you, but it's like an hour of like, I can't focus on my own life. Like I no, just have to be do, present. if you do, you're getting choked out. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I just have to be present for an hour. And then there's times where like you're driving home and you're like, holy shit. I didn't think about my problems for a full hour. Like that yeah. was fucking bliss. Like yes. that was fucking so cool. But like even in the school then, like how do you n- like kind of start those friendships where it goes from like, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Cool. Awesome. Weather's been great this week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. Did you see this? Did you see that? Nice. Oh, did you see this in the news? I did. How do you go from like that type of relationship where you're like communicating with your coworkers like that to the point where they're like, how is your relationship going? Like, how I feel is like it's, I feel like it's, it's not necessarily something that happens. I think it just sort of happens instinctively. I think something is said during one conversation that sort of sticks in your head and you hear it and you're like, Oh, I can dive deep with this person. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not necessarily like you say about the weather or, you know, your drive to work or whatnot. What did you watch on TV last night? But, you know, they talked about their kid or they talked about, you know, their partner. And then it's like, oh, okay, so we can open up like that. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the biggest things people like they'll always say, like, I have no one to talk to about yeah. this. And I've always been kind of like, um, like, I overshare like almost to a fault. So like I've never really had issues with that where like I'll just talk about everything with anybody. <laughs> yeah. like, you heard like at nine years old I was talking to my teacher about like I don't know why I'm living. Like <laughs> like <laughs> so like it's always been something that I do naturally. And so I've found those types of relationships throughout my whole life. For sure. It's like people I play sports with, you know, people that I work out with in the gym, like people that I work with in different work like environments that I've been in. But I feel like that's one of the biggest things where, like, people that DM me on Instagram where they're like, I have no one to talk to. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, there's lots of people out there. I definitely feel what you're saying. I hear it. Um, I've left a lot of stuff out at times, and I've kept a lot of stuff bottled up, I'm sure. Um, but I've been able I, – I have no problem connecting with people. I can talk. I can, as I said, you know, I can shoot the shit with anybody, mm-hmm. whether it's me being an asshole or not. <laughs> but uh, in terms of really putting myself out there and and sort of vulnerable, not necessarily have I done that. So, do you struggle to find those types of relationships? No, or you just, I could. You already I, have I, them, or I don't know whether it's already having them or whether struggling finding them or whether it's me just keeping that stuff bottled up inside. And then eventually exploding. Yeah. <laughs> it's like suppress, 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 explode. Exactly. But yeah, recently I, I think I've been able to talk a lot more than I had in the past. And it's it's because I think I need to. It's not necessarily anything telling me to. It's just my body telling me that I need to. And did you have like ever like a feeling of like kind of like uh, I'm... I'm less strong when I need help kind of thing or like no. I'm less of a man or No, no. I've not necessarily. I don't think so. I think it's just I don't need to put this sort of shit on anybody else. I don't need to weigh on their I know they have problems themselves, so why do I need to put my problems on their shoulders? 
Yeah. But don't you find that when you're able to help somebody, it's such a great feeling? A hundred percent. So don't you think that you like by sharing your problems, you're kind of giving someone else that opportunity? Yeah, that I feel that way now. <laughs> that was you know like, what I mean? Like yeah. it, it was sort of a as I spoke, it's sort of a light bulb moment where you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting this shit off my chest. Yeah. And I just feel like as well, like uh, I, I I, only ask those questions because I have the exact same thing all the time. Like I still deal with that like uh, paradox in my head where I'm like, I'm supposed to be the guy that people come to. Like, I don't want to dump this on my girlfriend. Yes. I don't want to dump this on my buddies. Like I, I'm supposed to be their rock. Yeah. I know other people have anxiety. Yeah. I don't need to bring more anxiety yeah. to them. Yeah. But then I, I've started to think of it that way now where it's like, I feel good when I do things for other people. So if I keep this kind of, uh, like I view it now, I try and remind myself now, it's like I'm taking their opportunity for them to be there for me. Yes. Like I'm kind of robbing them of, of that gift of like a, an opportunity to be that person because it feels good to be that person. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you kind of deal with that quite a bit, man. Like having kids and having a wife, like you're probably someone that people come to. All well, the time. and be working for the school board as well, right? Like working with these kids and working with teachers and whatnot. I, I People come to me a lot for different shit. And yeah, it feels good to be other people's rocks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need that rock for yourself, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. Did you ever um, doubt your career path at all? No. Not really. Um, Pay-wise, yeah. It doesn't pay great. But you know what? Sometimes happiness is Trump's money. Here in Vancouver, it doesn't. But <laughs> And have you had, um, had you had, like, points in your life where you're like, fuck, I can't do this anymore? No, never. I've, there's never been a day, well, maybe once or twice because of, difficult students but i'll say over the course of the last 20 21 years that i can count on one hand that i've woken up not wanting to go to work wow i love going to school i love going to work i love the people that i work with i love all my coworkers. i love the kids that i work with i just love the job as i said to my wife i've said to my parents before i was married i said to i said listen if i win the lottery and i win millions of dollars i probably would never quit the school board I'd probably go part-time or, you know, do a job share where I work two or three days a week. Wow. But I need to stick with this. and Because I think it helps my mental well-being, yeah. de- working with these kids and seeing what they're going through and seeing what their parents are going through, having to deal with them. Yeah. How, what do you think is the biggest reward that way? Just the connections, man. Connecting with these kids in a way that... Not even the kids that I work with. There's students that I work with that need just somebody in their life to listen to them. Just like we said, we need people to listen to us. There's kids that just don't have it. They have nobody at home. Their parents are either out working or they're doing other shit. Who knows? But these some of these kids don't have anybody to talk to. Some of these kids don't have anybody to even lean on and and be there for so just to be able to take a kid for a walk to the dollar store or take a kid for a walk to starbucks or tim hortons or something sometimes i get to do that sometimes i'll go to the office and grab a tim hortons gift card and take a kid in grade five down the street to tim hortons and get him a donut and a farmer's wrap and he's fucking stoked for the rest of the week wow 
you know, like to see the, the, their eyes light up. Like some days if, if I'm away sick, some of these kids are like, when's Jeremy coming back? When's Jeremy coming back? Like that kind of shit. That's, that's priceless. Yeah, it really is, man. That's so fucking cool. How do you think you found that kind of, uh, I know you told the story already of how you found your career and uh, what got you started in it, but I feel like there's so many people that kind of lack that or struggle, especially like younger people, like early 20s, like kind of struggling to find a purpose or a, a meaning for. It's tough to find what you're meant to do. And I hear that this generation, especially like people in their younger 20s will go through like four or five different career paths in their lifetime. It's not like our parents' generation where they were like, my dad worked for the the federal government for his entire career. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my grandfather worked for the city of Vancouver for his entire career. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm working for the Vancouver School Board for my entire career, but I have other stuff to sort of supplement it. Like I said, refing hockey, the website, and whatnot. But kids these days don't do one thing for their entire career. They sort of bounce around and and they can't find just one thing. And I don't know whether that's because they don't like what they initially do or whether their minds are just too scattered to stick in with one thing for too long. I've seen people come into our jobs and be like, listen, they've worked for a year, maybe two years, and they're like, it's not enough money, I need to leave. I need to do something else. And yes, it's not enough money to live in Vancouver, but we're so lucky that we work from 8.30 to 3.30. We've got the entire evening to bring in a second income if we want. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, There's definitely opportunity to do other stuff, and that that's why I like this job so much that it gives me freedom to do other shit. Like, I'm off at 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. I have the whole night ahead of me to get after it. Yeah. I think it's a combination of things because I kind of fell into that too. Like, I, I worked as a carpenter. A lot of people in my family do. And then I was like, I, I think it's like a combination of, like, uh, the comparison culture on social media. Like 100%. Kind of- I hear friends at work, like, sorry to cut you off, but no, no. I hear people at work say, listen, like, I love this job and I'd do it for the rest of my life. But my friends just got through school and they're making this much money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Or so-and-so started started a online business. Exactly. He doesn't have to even work a job. He can make fucking six figures sitting in his house. Yes. So. Yeah, it's it's... Wanting to be, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like, you want to be, like, the best of your friends. But sometimes they're not the happiest of people, right? Like, the people making the most money out there aren't necessarily loving life. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I think a lot of it as well is, like, we're almost sold this lie or... I don't know. I wouldn't even say it's a lie. But this weird, like, part of, like, online culture where... Like, people with these online businesses, like, other people are feeling like they're, like, above a certain level of work. Like, I know a lot of my friends, they're like, why are you working in construction? What the fuck? Like, there's so many different things. It's like, like, you bleed at work? Like, you you have to get dirty? Like, all these different things? I'm like, man, I'm not above this. Do you know how many men work in the trades? Oh, yeah. You know how many, like, the house you live in? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, someone had to build that. And um, the other side of it, too, is 
the re, uh, part of the reason I came back to it was I didn't understand that it was a scalable business. I remember saying when I quit, I don't want to work an hourly wage the rest of my life. Yeah. And I realized like, oh, if I learn this trade well enough, I can start my own company or I can take this one over or I can do like you don't have like it's a scalable business. And I didn't understand that at first. And so I think a lot of people kind of feel like they're above that level of work a lot of the time, whether it's manual labor or even like doing something like working like a, a salaried position for the school board. Like I feel like a lot of people would look at that and say like, Oh, but then I'd have to leave my house. Like I want to, I want a passive income and yes. I want to be able to, uh, what, what do they say? Like, uh, autonomy over my schedule. I don't want to have to get up in the morning. Like there's all these different things. It's, it's all a- mindset, man. It's all, people just need to really realize that there's more to life than, than work for one. And if you love what you do, you can continue to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I don't go home drained. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, you'd think I would working with special needs kids yeah. and whatnot. You'd think well, I'd go and home else and do. everything else I do. But I go home and I want to do that other stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like it gives me the opportunity to have time to do everything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a weird, um, it's such a weird generation in terms of like how social media is with comparison culture and like this kind of, uh, I'd say like people like uh, growing up kind of like almost too privileged to understand like you're not above work. What the fuck are you talking about? Like it's so funny, man. But it's such a weird thing because what's like I consistently think about like what's it going to look like in 20 years? Like I'm sure you think the same thing. Like having kids probably reminds you of that all the time. Um the other thing I wanted to ask you about is like a lot of people blame a lot of the problems that we deal with in society on public education. Like they say like the school system's fucked. Like, oh, like I've been failed by this system or that system. Like what's your kind of take on that? Like obviously having a completely like inside perspective. Um, I guess that's a good question. It right? is. <laughs> Without me getting fired, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah fair <laughs> enough. Sorry. No, no, no. It's sorry. All, it's, all, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. But I will say, like, I mean, obviously there's places and times where the school board can fail you. But like you said, you look back on some of your school journey and you remember it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I had a student hit me up and tell me how you know, how much I mentored him and whatnot. So I think that those are the things that people should focus on. And, and sometimes the failures come because of the teachers that the kids are with, not necessarily what's being taught in the school. Mm-hmm. think there's stuff that should be taught in school, like, you know, money management and, and all that kind of stuff, especially in this day and age and whatnot, that's not really taught. I think students need to be especially elementary school students need to be transitioned into high school a little better and and understand that it's it is a great jump because there's no middle school it's directly you know from elementary school to high school and you can take them for 17 million visits i know when i went from elementary school to high school we literally just got dumped from grade seven into grade eight yes nowadays kids are going and visiting the high school 10 times before they go to high school from grade seven so they're, I think kids are coddled a little more now than they were back in the day. 
And whether that's a pro or a con is, I mean, yet to be seen. <laughs> We're going to find out, like you say, in 10, 15 years. Yeah. It's such a it's such a weird thing to think about. I always uh, I I kind of went back and forth with it throughout my like uh, my um, my life and uh, over the past couple years because of going into conspiracy theories yeah. and and, and uh, kind of my tinfoil hat. I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to subject my kids to public school. Like I I think I'm gonna homeschool or find like a private school. And then just more recently, I realized is like wait. I went through public school and I'm doing all right. <laughs> what the fuck? My parents went to public school and they did all right. Like, and then you think even more to that. Like, it's like, like my parents, they're my, sorry, my, uh, my mom's side, my parent, uh, she's from Europe, but my dad's side, like his dad, my grandpa lived in Copenhagen when like the Nazis took over. Oh, like, wow. Public school. You want to talk about something fucking you up for life? Like Nazis literally took over his hometown. <laughs> Jesus. Like, and he was all right. Yeah. Like, there's people that were put in internment camps, and they were all right. Yeah. Like, obviously, I'm not downplaying the people that died, but I'm saying, like, if you want to say that what fucked your kid up or what fucked you up was going through the public school system, like, it's almost like a complete lack of ownership there. Like, it's like... I'd say. I wouldn't <laughs> say... It, you can't sort of put things all into the the one hat. It can't just be the public school. It has to be what happened throughout your life in the public school. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's not even necessarily the teachers could be other students, could be parents of other students, could Mm -hmm. be, you know, anybody within the system, but I don't think you can blame the system itself. Some of the stuff that, as I said, there is thing, there are things that need to be taught and definitely things that don't need to be taught in the public system, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I was going to say I definitely agree with that. But um, the other thing that is a good reminder, and I think that you'll probably be a good reminder for a lot of people that are listening to this that kind of feel the same way that I was describing as well, is um, it's it's scary because like the concern would be that certain students, they don't have you know parents at home that are going to teach them the skills that you're talking about. Like, uh, how to get a job, how to make yeah. a resume, how to save some money, you know, what taxes are. And uh, they don't have that. And I think that in a lot of ways, the public school system does kind of fail people in that way. Because like, I fucking racked up so much debt right at, right in college and like fucked myself into a hole that I didn't think I was going to be able to crawl yeah. out of. And I was like, why didn't nobody teach me this? Why didn't nobody teach me that? And, um, so there is something to be said about that, but the other side of it, the, the, the other side of the coin is like, you can blame the system. You can blame the system as much as you want until you're blue in the face. But like, when you think about what the system actually is, it's made up of human beings. Yes. And unless, I don't know what other people's perspective is, but like, I think personally, I think it's just because I'm exposed to so many people. I think people are good. I have so many good conversations every week that it's like, oh yeah, these are still human beings. Like, obviously, there's fucked up people out there, <laughs> but like most people are good. Oh yeah, and we're going through a huge generational shift too, right? Like, there's a lot of teachers that are going to be retiring, and then these new generation of teachers are coming in, and they think completely outside the box, which is a cool way to teach. Um, it's not very, you know, it's not rudimentary in terms of like, we need to do this, 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 this. It's very outside the box thinking where, you know, they're going on field trips and all that kind of stuff. So we're entering a cool phase within the school boards where 
it's not going to be the way it was the last 10, 15, 20 years in terms of the way the curriculum was. The curriculum obviously needs to be tweaked, like I said, like you agreed with. But I think we're in a sort of a cool spot where younger teachers are starting to take over and it's it's going to change things immensely, I think. So you're optimistic about I that? I am, yeah. Depend- Just- the thing is, is, like you said earlier, talking about practicum students and how you, you razzed them and whatnot, <laughs> it all depends on who those practicum teachers, um, like advisors are. So like who they're doing their practicum under and how they become a teacher because some of those practicum teachers take their practicums under those old school in the box thinking teachers and that sort of keeps them in there. Mm -hmm. I like to see people who think with their own mind rather than stay inside that box. Yeah, but there is something to be said about like kind of the structure and old school like discipline of how that was. Yes. It's it's so weird, man, because I detested it so much growing up. And there's a lot of kids that thrive on that schedule-based system too, right? Like there's people that can't get through a day without having things set in stone. Mm-hmm. So that'll throw them completely out for a loop if they're going to like change and transition into something else. Yeah, it's so weird because it's, I don't know, man. It's this weird thing that I've kind of, it's like a paradox because... I don't think you can be successful without discipline and structure in your life. But I also feel like a lot of the time you can't structure everything. Like life is so unpredictable that like if you try and live in a world that's structured all the time, when you get into the real world, you're going to be fucked. Like you won't know how to operate when things get like curveballs get thrown your way. Like once you um, get into the real world, like it's like, oh, wait, life doesn't give a fuck about my structure. Yes. Yes. So it's it's so weird because it's like a paradox of like you have to be able to operate within both systems. It's also like giving kids participation trophies, right? Like, you know, they go out <laughs> into the real world. You don't win at everything, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that, man. Back in like, like, I think my generation was where that came in. Okay. Was like, I remember going to like track and field in elementary school and getting like a ribbon. And I was like, why the fuck did I get a ribbon? I lost. <laughs> and my parents were like, oh, it's participation. And I threw it out. Yeah. Even like in my, when I did my uh, jujitsu competition, I got like the bronze in one of the categories and I just gave it to my girlfriend right away. I'm like, I don't fucking want this. I lost. Like, what the fuck? I feel like shit right now. Yeah. Like, Sometimes the bronze medal isn't the shitty one, though. The silver medal is. Because first loser. First loser. <laughs> But like you look at the World Junior Hockey Championship this past month, they fucking cried. You know, Canada beats uh, yeah. Czechia, Czech, yeah, and Czechs the Czechians are crying, and then the people, the guys who won third place, you know, they're cheering and and screaming because you win third place, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I I know for myself, like I felt like a fucking idiot that day, and there was just so many things that, again, it's it depends on circumstances. I just know that. I in one of the the uh, matches I lost, I watched it and I was like, "Fuck! I can't believe I did this at that point and that at that point." Like it was it's like a good most... thing about being able to watch it, though. Yeah, it was painful. My my girlfriend's a photographer and videographer, okay. so she, I was blessed. Like she was there right right away yeah. and had the video, and I'm like, "I can't believe I did that!" Like I got fucked so hard. I like... competed in November and lost both my matches. Watched them both probably over a hundred times now. Painful. The first one, I was up on points, 
swept the guy right into a triangle choke. And I did the same thing in training, mm, I want to say two weeks ago. And I fought out of that triangle like that. And I'm like, fuck, why didn't I do that in the competition? I'm like, I've been in deeper triangles and deeper trouble in the gym than mm -hmm. I was on the mat that day. But I fucking, I, I lost myself. Like your brain quit before your body? 100%. Yeah. I could have fought out of it. And I watched it happen in the video after I realized that. I watched myself not fight out of the choke. I watched myself put my hand out. I watched myself almost tap once before I tapped to finish the fight. I watched myself beat myself. Yeah. Which is the craziest thing to see. Because I know I could have fought out of it. And then that guy ended up winning gold. Wow. Yeah, there was... Because um, I, I did... Uh, I didn't even place on the podium in Gi, but in, in no Gi, I, I ended up winning, and then uh, I got taken out by this one guy because I got pinned super hard in side control, and there was certain opportunities where I could have got my knee in. There was certain opportunities where I could have swept, and I ended up sweeping right at the end, but I got pinned so for so long, and I lost advantage as well because I kept him in a lockdown for too long. Yeah. And... Uh, they're just rewatching it where I was just pinned in side control for like literally three and a half minutes straight. And I'm like, this is so humiliating. Like, I can't believe it. And watching how many opportunities I was given because especially like, you know how it is like, uh, w like as a white belt, there's times where you're watching, like, like I know for me, like the, I was watching my own match and he's like, he was just stronger than me. Yeah. And I'm like, there's so many things that he did wrong where I'm like watching it from not underneath. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where like yeah. You get, when you're on top watching, it just looks so <laughs> stupid where it's like, fuck, man. I can't believe I didn't just sweep him at that point. Or of I course. Didn't. I had a glimpse of hope. Yeah. Or like I could have got my knee and I could have got my elbow and I could have got some, like I had so much space. Yeah. But I was just, met, like you said, like mentally defeated because he was stronger than me. That's like a lot of jujitsu. Even in training, I find that like when we teach passing or teach a side control escape, we teach it from the worst case scenario. Whereas we should be teaching guys not to even let the guy get there. Yeah. Right? Like so oftentimes when people are passing, like when I watch in the gym, I'll watch white and blue belts. And oftentimes when guys are passing their guards, once they get past their knees and to the hip, they fall flat to their back and they're stuck in side control. Yeah. You shouldn't even be letting them get there. You should be framing already, getting your knee inside, staying on your hip, yeah. staying on your shoulders, on your side. You should at no point be falling to your back unless you get cross-faced. Yeah, cross-faced you know hook. Yeah. That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there was a couple people from my gym there. And uh, there's this one, like, uh, there's this one purple belt. And he watched the match. And then the next day at training, I'm like, from now on, I just want to start in side control because that was so fucking humiliating. Yeah. <laughs> I never want that to fucking happen again. Like, that was so, so embarrassing, yeah. man. It's the worst. And especially because when I was competing, like, uh, we were talking before with my girlfriend, like, she had more jujitsu experience than me at the time. Yeah. Um, she still does, uh, technically, but I've been a lot more consistent in the last couple, like, years. But, uh, Having her just be like, you fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, fuck. 
<laughs> like that's Damn so it. humiliating. You don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, she's like, that was so frustrating to watch. And I was like, I was frustrated to be in. Of what course. do you mean watch? <laughs> that's the worst. Sometimes it's worse watching than like I had zero nerves competing when I competed last, and I actually hadn't competed since I was a blue belt. So like I didn't compete for like the last because I took about six years off. I probably didn't compete for about 13, 14 years. And I stepped back onto the mats for the first time this past year. And I had zero nerves. I just stepped onto the mats and I was like, this is just another day. And it was during 75 hard, which was cool because yeah. I got to process it and everything. And I will say I've gone to tournaments and I've coached guys and it's way more stressful to coach than it is to, than it is to step <laughs> on those mats. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck, just listen to me, man. I'm telling you to do something. Just fucking do it. But you can't even hear. No, you can't. Especially, like, I don't know. It was my only competition, so I can't speak with that much experience. But I, watching the video, I can hear everyone yelling at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I couldn't hear a thing. I couldn't, I don't remember it. Like, you almost don't even remember what happened. 100%. I actually, yeah, I'm like, I watched the video and I'm like, oh, I did that. Yeah, Fuck, my guard looked pretty good. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah, there's there comes a blur. There's certain things where like I remembered, and then for like um, yeah, and then most like I'd say ninety percent of it, I'm like, whoa, that happened. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> whoa, I did that. That was so cool. Yeah, uh, there's like yeah, but um, yeah, dude, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to chat about, or anything you think we missed, or? I think we covered a lot of ground here, man. Yeah. It's going to be fun to go back and listen to. Um, I don't know if you've watched an entire interview that I've done before or anything like that, but uh, I always like to say, like, I did the intro. I'm going to leave you to do the outro. Uh, give yourself a plug one more time and tell everybody that uh, that listen to this, like, where they can find you. Um, obviously, the website we've talked a lot about, but tell people where they can find you um, and what your... Uh, I guess how you can help them. It's kind of cool because you you aren't like a personal trainer, so you're not really selling anything, no. which is nice. Yeah, to have you on. <laughs> it's really nice to have you on because you're not really plugging much. But tell people where they can find you and leave them with like a little inspirational message or something to brighten up their day if they're listening to this on a Monday morning. And uh, for like, sure, yeah. So as we said, you've listened to me for what over two hours here. My name is Jeremy Brand. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, social media, whatnot. I got kicked off of social media for a little while there that was a dark day i will tell you that before we get kicked off okay let me pee really quick then okay okay and then we can get back into that (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem like it's been over two hours yeah it's crazy man i lied we just had to take a pee break i don't know why i always try and hold it like for the past like 15 minutes i was like i think i gotta hold it i'm gonna try and hold it (laughs) and then now that i peed it's like exactly well we won't go too much longer though i'll tell this story and then we can get it cracking because as i said my wife called. Yeah, I get it. I get it, man. <laughs> all right. So kicked off of social media. I was going to give you guys all of the plugs and whatnot and where I was, but like a few months ago, actually, maybe it was almost a year ago. It was your personal account? Yeah. So yeah. my personal Instagram account, I go to log on and it says your account has been terminated or something like that. I don't even remember the terms. And I'm like, what the fuck? So it says you can appeal it. All I could do was click a button. There's nothing else. It didn't give let me give a reason. Didn't let me give anything. I don't know what I did. I don't know nothing. Just, they didn't even tell you. No. It just it just community guidelines, whatever that means. And I mean, all I posted about was like my daughter 
and jujitsu, basically. Yeah, because you don't even post shit. Like I, well, I, that's why I don't post things anymore. <laughs> like I literally don't post anything anymore. I don't post anything about my family. I don't post anything at all. I post jujitsu clips, like stories and whatnot. Nothing else. So I put that in. A twenty-four hours later. They got back to me and said, your account has been declined. You're officially gone. And I'm like, I have nobody that I can talk to about this. Like, I can't contact Facebook. I can't contact Instagram. So because my Instagram was attached to my Facebook page, that also got deleted. And that Facebook page was from like 2002. So I had all my daughter's photos on it. I had like so many memories on it, all gone. It was like, what the fuck? So I created a new Instagram page. That one is fine. I, as I said, I don't post anything on it. I'll post stories about jujitsu. I have literally one post, and it's from the tournament. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to post anything family or anything related on there, just in case stuff gets you know taken down and whatnot. I don't need to share my household life with anybody else anymore because I noticed what social media did. I started a Facebook page the day after, personal page again, and... It actually got deleted again that day, saying that the user doesn't exist. And I was like, what the fuck? Don't know what happened. I created another one. I started, like, not really adding anybody on it. I only use it for certain pages that I, like, manage and stuff. So I have that. So I'm not going to share that. But on Instagram and Twitter, you can find me (laughs) at JeremyBrand604. That's Jeremy, B-R-A-N-D, 604. Find the website, MMASucka.com. If you want to train jiu-jitsu, you can find me at Apex Martial Arts. It's in Richmond, uh, just over the Knight Street Bridge. I teach usually every Tuesday. Um, that's about it. You want to hit me up. You want to talk about anything. The DMS are open, even though I might not post actively on social media. <laughs> that's so bizarre, man, because like, it's, it's funny over the last couple of years, like, uh, and, uh, I've had so many fucking warnings on Instagram because I'm pretty outspoken about like my views on what the government's been doing yeah. in the last couple of years. Like I, I'm a, I'm a legal gun owner, so I hate the way that they've been kind of prosecuting legal gun owners in the last couple of years. I talk a lot of shit about that. I talk a lot of shit about the pandemic. I talk a lot of shit about the way that they deal with mental health. Yeah. I, like, I left, right, and center. Like, Which is crazy. You've had warnings and whatnot. I didn't even get a fucking warning. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is like at least if I get banned, I know exactly, yeah, exactly. why it is. Like I, <laughs> I talk so much shit. And, and share so many different stories from accounts that get banned. And uh, it's it's so weird because even to this day, I believe I can go and view all the warnings that I've had of like posts where it's like, this was mi- misinformation. Yeah. This is, goes against community guidelines. It then. at least opened my eyes to what social media actually is. And I have zero control of it. But you didn't even really post much, no, I feel like. About- but which means that... It's completely out of my hands, and they can take ownership of whatever the fuck they want. So at the end of the day, I'm going to try to take ownership of whatever I am, and for you guys listening, take ownership of yourselves. That's Yeah, it's so bizarre. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful place to wrap it up, man. <laughs> That's so fucking crazy, though, because I've had, I've had friends that get banned where it's like, yeah, we know exactly yeah. <laughs> why you got fucking banned, bro. Like, we know exactly why that is. And if I get banned, it's like, yeah, I know exactly, exactly. why. <laughs> That's so fucking crazy that you just got deleted. Yeah. 
My life was deleted. They're like, <laughs> delete. Exactly. Oh, fuck, <laughs> man. That's so frustrating, man. But, um, yeah, give us a little beautiful message. Something, something to wrap this up. A little, uh, something to make someone smile, a motivational thing, or uh, just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, something to make them smile. Well, as I said, like, think for yourselves. I'll also say, if you have your mindset on something and you want to start something, don't think about it. Just do it. The answer was yesterday, not today. Fuck yeah. Jeremy Brown, people. Thank you so much. Much love and peace out. Happy Thursday. Have a good weekend. Bye.